Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 goodbye, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing. Remember, this is wide screen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. I hope you're all well, safe and sound. Right, everyone, here we are with a brand new Paul McCartney album. Though it's not exactly brand new and it isn't exactly by Paul McCartney either. Though it is an album. Yes, today, folks, we're going to be looking at three imagined or three reimagined or McCartney three imagined or McCartney three reimagined. The new Paul McCartney remix, tribute, and covers album highlighting the brilliance of McCartney three. That album we had about three or four months ago. Uh, regardless, whether we needed it or not, it is indeed here. And whilst it may not be making the same waves as the original album, let me just tell you all right off the bat. This thing's really fucking good, and it's objectively interesting as shit. From top to bottom. Of course, I had no intention of doing this alone, though. We are going to do a song-by-song, semi-hot take, semi-official review, and I've recruited a fellow young person to help me tackle this incredibly... Contemporary, modern, and 2021 kind of album. His name is Dylan Seavey. I'll do his little intro later, but you all know him by now. And as always, it's been awesome to have him on for any reason at all. Though, the best bit about today's conversation, and I don't mean to spoil anything too much, is just how fucking much we disagree about this album, song by song. Oh my god, do we ever highlight the fact that there is an awful lot to discuss about Three Imagined. I do want to say, though, this album came out, what, April 18th, 2021. Then me and Dylan recorded our thoughts around three days later. We'd listened to the album a couple of times by then, and we said our piece. And now, just under a week later, I'm recording this intro, and... Not only have I been listening to the album non-stop, but my favourite song has now completely changed and is in complete contrast to what you, you are about to hear. Okay, I'm not too harsh on the song in question, but I do just want to take a moment to heap some extra credit praise on Blood Orange's remix of Deep Down on this album. I know this might enrage my guest when he listens to this intro, but... It has quickly risen to my most played song on Spotify through its hypnotic, super transcendental ambience, which is then finally counterpointed and punctuated by this really funky dance beat and piano segment that really lifts and gives the original music that that thrust and zhuzh you were kind of looking for. It's all balanced perfectly and the overall production is just so entrancing and all-encompassing and well done and I also didn't notice at the time that the backwards guitar stuff not only was very Beatlesque but like literally sonically it's exactly the kind of thing that Kanye West does when he uses backwards guitar and I found that really interesting I know that won't be a bonus to a lot of you though but yeah 
pretend that I'm saying all of these nice things later on, because when I was editing this episode, I was like, hmm, I really haven't given this song its fair due. So, yeah, we've got that admin out of the way. Speaking of time of recording, though, it is worth pointing out that the vinyl edition, the physical format of this album, has, at the time of recording, not yet been released. And so we won't be reviewing Idris Elba's remix of Long-Tailed Winter Bird, as that is indeed a physical format exclusive. I'm sure I'll probably just do that in like the housekeeping of a future episode, I guess. Hopefully we'll get Dylan back on for that. Though, before we can review anything, we do have to crack on with the... Housekeeping! So, what do we have in terms of news for today? Nothing, actually. So we're going to press right on to the contact info to get in touch with the show. Please email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always want to hear your Paul McCartney stories. I always love reading out your correspondence here on the show. To get more day-to-day regular updates, follow us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. And to make up for the lack of email correspondence in today's episode, thankfully I did get a rather sizable message on the Twitter that I did want to share with y'all, as it pertains rather perfectly to the next episode that I'm going to be editing, which will be my review of the 1993 Up Close gig slash performance with Alan Cozen. This comes from user at SGL New York, and he says, Hey Sam, I promised you a quick story about my up-close experience, so here we go. I didn't have a ticket to this surprise show. In the days before the internet, you had to know someone at the venue, at a radio station, in Paul's Inner Circle, or hear about it by accident to know about a show like this and get in. And then you really had to know someone to get in. So, for me, the most important part about Up Close was the weather. The show took place in Manhattan at the famous Ed Sullivan Theatre on Thursday, December 10th, 1992. The night before, a super nor'easter storm was predicted and NYC battened down the hatches. On December 10th, NYC closed portions of its highways and subway systems. Manhattan was hit by high tides and high winds, though the substantial snow really didn't materialise. Why is this important? Because me and my friend hoped that people wouldn't, couldn't show up to the show and we could get in. And that is exactly what happened. We stood outside of the theatre in the windy, freezing, dark, slushy cold starting from around 4pm. Several other people queued up behind us. After three and a half hours or so, a theatre usher said to all of us, we have room in the balcony of the theatre since many folks didn't show up. To misquote the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night, we're in. Fantastic. This was the first time since 1990 I got to see Paul. We hoped to hear some new songs from the new album, but we weren't sure. It was awesome. The entire balcony and orchestra levels were standing when he came out. It was great to see him, Gertrude Higgins, Robbie, Hamish, Wicks and Blair in such a smaller setting. So many older songs that he hadn't played on the last tour 20 Flight Rock, Fixing a Hole, Michelle, a country washboard version of Can't Buy Me Love, and I Wanna Be Your Man were all played. And then there were the new songs which immediately stood out, like Get Out of My Way, Hope of Deliverance, and Peace in the Neighborhood. Biker Like an Icon sounded great. We didn't realize what the words were. 
Around the sixth song or so, me and my friend snuck down to the orchestra level and moved up to probably the 11th row since everyone was standing and dancing and no one sat in their seats, so it was easy to move close. I remember hearing Big Boy's bickering and we looked at each other when he cursed and we shook our heads saying, no, this doesn't work at all, feels fake. But the entire show was wonderful. Unfortunately, the only time I got to see him in a smaller venue. We waited after the show to see if we could see Paul departing, but he was gone. We couldn't wait to see if we'd made the program when it appeared on television in February, but unlike the Get Back Tour movie of the 1989-90 tour, we couldn't find ourselves. I think they only showed half the songs on TV. Well, first of all there at SGL New York, thank you so much for that incredible insight into your experience at the Up Close show. I really felt like I was there with you, as cliche as that sounds. Like, it seems the pre-internet world of the McCartney fandom was just so exciting because everything was a gamble. Like, you had no idea if things would pay off or if tips were even accurate or not. So when things worked out in the way that that they did for you, it really must have been the best feeling ever. I will say, though, a lot of our views on this show aren't quite parallel, actually. I did enjoy a lot of the new Beatle material and the -the off-the-ground stuff as well, though maybe not the exact same songs. Uh, For example, I find Get Out of My Way to be quite dull and derivative, and Big Boy's Bickering, especially live, has a certain kitsch charm to it. Anyway, thank you for sharing that one there. And please do not hesitate to share any similar stories in the future if you got them. Peace and love there, dude. And so I cannot wait to further expand upon these ideas when we do indeed do our up-close review with Alan Cozen next week. Can't wait to do that. And of course, yes, if you want daily updates and if you want to have instant access for an instant message like just the one you just heard there, of course, follow us on our Twitter, which is at McCartney Pod. Follow us on our blog as well, folks, for bonus Paul or Nothing content, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Make sure you check out the exclusive Paul or Nothing highlight content on the YouTube page as always. If you want to help out the show right now, right away, in a way that takes just a few seconds, please leave us a review as they are incredibly helpful in boosting the show in all of the algorithms etc etc if you could say something nice maybe leave five stars it would be most appreciated and finally of course if you want to help out the show directly if you want to help see the show grow and keep the lights running then please consider joining our patreon family where you can get all sorts of bonus content including video content scripts you get episodes two days early as well as the live, uncut, raw audio and video content that goes up directly after I've recorded an episode, sometimes weeks in advance. So yeah, you get loads of benefits there. And of course, all of the Patreon funds goes right back into the show, whether that's the hosting costs or new material to review or new equipment, that kind of thing. Of course, I am waiting on both copies of Ram On, the tribute to Paul and Linda's Ram, the 50th anniversary, and Three Imagined, the album that we're going to be talking about today. That was indeed paid for by you, the patrons, you, the listeners. So thank you so much for that. I'm waiting on my gold HMV exclusive edition. Very excited, of course. Let me just shout out our Patreon family 
Moti Reber, Christian Perry, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Lou DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L, Robert Carabelli, Warren Butson, and my man, Matt Phillips. Right, folks, that is all of the plugs out of the way. Though, we do indeed have a little bit more to catch up with just before we start the show. Yes, normally I do like to start off these episodes with a bit of a deep dive on the must-know information about the album before me and my guest get lost in our digressions. However, with Three Imagine being relatively new and receiving very little of the same advertising budget of McCartney 3 proper, there is surprisingly scant information on how the album came together, how it works and how Paul perceives it. There are reviews, but they're not all that revealing. That is, unless you go onto Paul's own website, because the latest of Paul's own monthly You Gave Me The Answer Q&A segment, usually quite the trite and vapid segment, is actually filled to the brim with juicy behind-the-scenes details on what Three Imagined is. Like, I really got to hand it to the folks who put this Q&A together this month, because not only is it really good, but it really cut down on my workload, as everything I want is here, and I can just read it verbatim, which is exactly what I'm going to do, and then we're going to crack on with the review and get my guest on. Oh, once again, just before we begin, I must also point out that there was indeed another spelling mistake that I spotted here, W-H-E-R-E instead of W-E apostrophe R-E. Sort it out, people. So yeah, let's uh, let's dive in with the first question from paulmccartney.com. They, they ask, firstly, what's it like turning an album that is essentially a solo album by you and handing it off to other artists to interpret? Is it quite an interesting process to see how they will take on your babies, if you like? Paul. Yeah, it started by people asking me if I had any bonus tracks. And I said, no, not really. McCartney 3 is like a giant bonus track because there were mostly songs I was finishing up. I didn't have anything left over. But then I thought it might be nice just to ask some other people to remix and just reimagine them. And in truth, I didn't think about it much more than that at the time. In the spirit of McCartney 3, which had arrived by surprise, I thought I'd see what happened. It was a delight when the track started coming in. The first one arrived was Beck, and it was so great. When Nancy and I were having dinner that evening, that was the song we played, so it was a fabulous way that it just came out of the blue, and I just listened to them right away. And I listened to them right away. In answer to your question, I loved people reimagining these songs. Every time one came in, it was like a Christmas gift. I'm really glad that the artists had a free shot at doing what they wanted with it. Nobody was given any strict briefs, so it was really interesting to see who did what and. I rang a lot of them personally and said, wow, I love your track and thank you for doing this. And it turned out that a lot of them were in lockdown too and they were really enjoying having something to do and having a bit of fun. The person who I spoke to out of Karangbin was Laura Lee, the bass player. I said, well, first, how do you pronounce the name Karangbin? Apparently, it's something like Crownbin, but without the G. Then I said, second question, what does it mean? Is it someone's name or something? And she told me it's Taiwanese for aeroplane. This is the kind of interesting thing you learn from people. I just rang them and told them how much I liked the song and asked a bunch of questions. I felt like a journalist. PaulMcCartney.com Were there any moments 
you were surprised at in how the songs had been reimagined by the artists. Were there any that really shocked you because they were unexpected? Paul. Some shocked me in a really pleasant way because I had no feelings as to what they ought to do. The Dominic Fike track was really surprising because he had really reimagined it and added his own lyrics and everything. Which, I think, if it had been strictly controlled, someone might have said to him, no, stick to the script. But I thought it was really good. He went beyond it, and the video he's done is terrific. So, I think his was the most surprising. Then the others were great too. Each of them had got something very special about them. Strangely enough, when you play them all together, they all work. Even though you've got Josh Hom doing a sort of raw rock and roll thing with Lavatory Lil, and 3D doing an even longer version of Deep Deep Feeling. Then, Phoebe Bridges doing her version, St. Vincent doing hers, Karongbin doing theirs, which I love. It's like, wow, listening to it in the evening at home, it turns the place into a disco. And so yeah, that was the You Gave Me The Answer segment from April 19th, 2021. But we are just going to quickly pop back to the March 30th edition of this little segment, where you know, the first rumblings about Three Imagined occurred. And I just wanted to read one little segment out that I thought was quite exciting and interesting. And the potential fruit that this tree could bear is something that I would not be able to resist. A real Adam and Eve moment for me, I must say. Uh, let's, let's, let's go into it. This is from the 30th of March, paulmccartney.com. McCartney 3 Imagined is such an exciting concept and we can't wait for everyone to hear all of the different tracks on the album. Would you even consider getting another one of yours reimagined? If so, which one? Paul. I think it's a really interesting idea. Usually when you're making music, you don't dream up the idea that someone else will cover your stuff. You just wait to see if it happens. That's the traditional way of things being reimagined. But it's kind of nice when you actually put it together as a project and say to people, would you like to do this? particularly when they've got a lot of time on their hands, when we're all in lockdown and no one's touring. I think it's a good idea. And which other album would I do, given the chance? Ram is the one that comes to mind. PaulMcCartney.com We've got the 50th anniversary of Ram coming up this year. Maybe there'll be some organic ones coming through. Paul, now that would be an idea. Now, now I'm not sure if this is Paul making a sly little reference to Denny Sywell and Fernando Podomo's tribute covers album, Ram On, the 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram. But uh, the idea that Paul could do something like Ram Reimagined. Oh, oh my God. Yes, Paul, do that. That is an amazing idea. I would love Wildlife Reimagined, Red Rose Speedway Reimagined, like... We are coming to the end of the archive series now and ideas for that are kind of running dry. But if the next thing we had, the next shtick, the next gimmick we had for the next 10 years of Paul McCartney re-releases, especially with, you know, a lot of these 50th anniversaries coming up, Reimagined would be fantastic for that. The Reimagined concept for all of McCartney's back catalogue, that gets my thumbs up. Yes, do it, Paul, do it. Anyway, now that we've caught up with anyway, now that we've caught up with Three Imagined and what it is and what Paul thinks about it, let's just jump right into what me and my guest think about it. One, two, three, let's go. And now, folks, it's time for me to bring on today's guest. You may have heard him on other unconfirmed Beatle-based podcasts, 
You may have even heard his musical talents on some of those podcasts, but you will no doubt remember his turns on this show as my co-host on both the two-part Let It Be film review episode, as well as the two-part Tripping the Live Fantastic Extravaganza. I really hope this episode doesn't turn out to be two parts, because I'm trying to be on the ball and on the pulse with this one, everyone. He's quite simply one of my all-time favourite people to talk to, not just about Beatles and music, but in general. Folks, please give another Paul or Nothing welcome to Dylan Seavey. Dylan, what's going on, dude? How's it going? Man, you always sufficiently crush these introductions. You make you know how to make a man feel loved. Uh, you deserve it, bro. You know, maybe one day, maybe one day you'll do the same for a woman, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> hey oh. You know what? We're, we're going to cut to business today, though. We really are. Because we are here today, like I said, to be on the pulse. We've got a new remix album, covers album, tribute album, thingamabob. That is, well, that's the thing, dude. Um, but before we can actually continue, we need to decide what this thing's called. What have you been calling this album out loud? How have you been vocalizing it? I have been calling it Three Imagined from the get-go. Three Imagined, okay, okay. Because to me, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only way. Reimagine, Three Imagine. I mean, I don't, I don't know why anyone else... It, it, to say McCartney Three Reimagined, I mean, that's that's just a mouthful. So many reviews I mean, let's, have gone Let's make it that. succinct. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. There's more variations on this album's title than there were variations for the actual McCartney 3 album. <laughs> I'm probably just going to go with 3 Imagined as well. It's clean, you know. I've seen like th- yeah. 3 Reimagined as well. I'm like, no, don't add those extra syllables, mate. You know that bit in the social network where it's like, just Facebook. No, the Facebook. It's cleaner. It's it's exactly like that. It's exactly what, and the way it's written, it's it's the... Roman numeral three, yeah, imagined three, imagined or three, imagined mm-hmm. whatever you want, but there's no need to complicate it, and there's certainly no need to have three and re right next <laughs> to each other. I mean, come on, this is just semantics, folks. I mean, this is this is the English language. What are we going to do? Let someone else take our language from us? Come on, this is important, folks. This is this, this is important. <laughs> But regardless of what the audience want to call this, I'm going to call it Three Imagined and you're going to call it Three Imagined. This is my show. Fuck you if you don't think it's called that. We're going to move on. But yeah, we are going to be discussing Three Imagined, which is a tribute album, a covers album, a thingamabob, like I say, of McCartney 3. And we're going to go through song by song, track by track, and then give our closing conclusion thoughts at the end. Though I do want to be as upfront as as possible with this episode and say this isn't a regular Paul or Nothing episode. Normally there are weeks in advance to kind of discuss what we're going to talk about and kind of build an idea of a show. But this isn't entirely a hot takes one either. We've had, what, three or four days at the time of recording now to listen to this. So we're not going to make entirely crazy claims, but also do bear with us. Some of these may get retracted, even in a few days, because that's just the magic of McCartney's music. Some of these could be growers. We just don't know it yet. I apologise, especially on Dylan's behalf, in advance. <laughs> anyway. Smart move. Without getting into the album itself, 
What are your thoughts on these kind of projects? Do you like tribute albums? Do you buy cover albums? Yeah, it certainly depends on a few different variables. I think more often than not, you're going to be more likely, or I'm going to be more likely to be interested in them if it's based around an artist that I enjoy or mm. the catalog of an artist I enjoy. Uh, there are some cover, again, it's it's difficult. Like, what is this? It's not a cover album, but it's also not fully a remix album. Is it really a tribute album? If it's, you know, it's something only ba- right. I mean, it's... <laughs> Nothing can take away from the fact that this is, by definition, a release. It's an an album, album, yes. (laughs) Uh, Critics are calling it an album, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is, uh, it's a noun for sure, Um, you know, but yeah, you know, I I, I do enjoy a good (laughs) tribute album, I will say. It's even, I have such a hard time calling it a tribute album, I don't think you can tributize a record that's not even six months old um, <laughs> you know because because even then it's far different from the the ram release that we have coming up next month mm. uh, the 50th anniversary like that's a record that we've lived with for 50 years so you can page you know mm. I, I don't know i i find that to be very interesting but you know in general yeah there there's some i really enjoy there's a great doors tribute record from the early 2000s called stoned immaculate that i thought was a really cool release mm. Uh, other than Creed's cover of Riders on the Storm. That's another story for another day. Mm. Um, yeah, overall, I don't have a problem with them. I, I would say that they're lower down on my echelon of preferred releases. Uh, I think I normally go for original studio records by an artist first, and then, you know, the power ranking can be uh, debated from there. But yeah, as long as it's done well, uh, that's how I feel about music in general. If it's done well and it's good, then yeah, I like it. Obviously, we have the benefit of living in the Spotify era. It's not really a matter of like, oh, am I going to buy this album? It's, oh no, is this going to be a part of that streaming service that I already pay for? And, you know, <laughs> McCartney and Spotify are very much in the same bed at the moment. So I'm very happy that I went with that service rather than like, you know, Tidal or something like that. Also, being a child of YouTube, most of my experience with covers and tributes has been unsigned artists and one-offs on YouTube, not really from full albums, though the exception would actually be a vinyl copy I have of Let It Be Revisited that came with a copy of Mojo magazine like a decade ago, and... Mm. I've read a lot of comments in the in the lead up to this album where people were saying, I'm worried that this album's going to sound like a free tribute album that comes with a major music publication magazine. Like it would come with Q or Kerrang or Scuzz mm-hmm. or something like that. And for me, that might not actually be the best negative comparison because Let It Be Revisited by Mojo is legit some of my favourite comfort food. It's such a good record. And I've gone through like loads of like top 50 tribute albums online and stuff like that. And so many of those lists have free tribute al- albums that come with magazines and stuff. So I wasn't too I mean, worried some about of the, this. Some of the artists, yeah, it was some of the artists that they're able to get for those tribute records. I mean, uh, I don't remember if it was Mojo or Q, but I, I know they did something similar for Rubber Soul. And I, they had Sufjan Stevens on there. Mm. Uh, I mean, they... I mean, and I know that in the past, you know, 
Jack White has done songs for those sorts of things. Like he, you know, huge, huge artists have have done those, and they're really cool. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think anyone who's saying that that's that's an uninformed. Maybe they heard one that they didn't like. I just to to, to cast such a heavy stone or, or, or such a broad statement on you know something like that when there's so many of them. How can you definitively say that they're all great or they're all bad? But you know, that's just what makes us better than everyone else. Of course. Sam, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we understand those intricacies. There is one particularly bad covers album from my podcasting past that I have to give a shout out to, which is <laughs> uh, Scarlett Johansson's Anywhere I Lay My Head, which is her Tom Waits cover album. Woo! Whoa, Nelly, is that a yeah. bad one? My gosh. But uh, it can be balanced out by John Hammond's Wicked Grin, which is an excellent. Oh, no, that's got, um, oh, he's on, Tom, Tom's on one of those songs on the album and he's really good. He's on, on a few of them, I think. Oh, yeah. oh I'm going to edit that in later. Oh my gosh. That's really, that's, that's, that's really going to bug me. I'm really embarrassed now, but I, yeah, love that album. Definitely. So good. In terms of this show, I guess, tribute albums or covers albums that we've dealt with would be things like rock and roll and chobber and holidays, that kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. Or something like Thrillington, you know. I guess the album we're looking at today is much more of a Thrillington than, you know, first meets the eye because it's something that is made in the wake of the original album, you know? Absolutely. It's a great comparison. Yeah, because with Thrillington, yeah, same thing. Paul's involved, but he's not doing the heavy lifting by any means. Mm. Uh, Go do your own thing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I just came with that on the fly. That's just stream of consciousness. And whoever wrote that horrible review saying my stream of consciousness ramblings are rubbish, fuck you. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what? Something that, that has to be done before we can have a, a proper discussion about uh, reimagined, three-imagined is, of course, the album that started it off. Well, let's wind the clock back to, what was it December 18th, 2020, McCartney 3, I know we've spoken about this, Dylan. I can't remember whether it's been on the podcast or not. It could have been on one of the many digressions on Tripping the Live Fantastic. But, you know, as concise as you can, what are your overall thoughts on McCartney 3? As concise as I can, good. Just good, not great. (laughs) No, um, I would say at least really good. Um, I would say when I was adding songs to my ongoing, you know, own personal pure McCartney, ultimate McCartney playlist, I think I added seven of the 11 tracks off the record. So bad. And even, and even the other four, um, there's one song I would say I don't care for, but I wouldn't say I hate it. I would not say it's in the absolute lower echelon of McCartney's catalog. It doesn't approach, you know, PS love me do standards um what, it's what is uh, that song just I, I think, just for everyone at home well for everyone at home it's very clearly as i think most people would agree your inexplicably your favorite track on the record the only one that is barely even a composition which is deep down uh, it, it, it's uh, easily the weakest deep track down on the hater i forgot about this i know I not not this. a hater when i'm listening to the record i'm happy to listen to it in sequence but you know we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. Not a hater. See, I'm a poet. I know it. Hope I don't <laughs> blow it. And uh, 
Here we go. But no, overall, I, I think it's a, a very strong record. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy the production on it. I enjoy a lot of the decisions he made uh, from a vocal standpoint, instrumental standpoint. You know, it, what we're doing right now, you know, I don't know how you're going to title this episode. I don't know if you're going to call this a review. Um, you know, I know mm-hmm. I've, I've listened to three imagined all the way through, I think four times now, which is not nearly enough to give, I guess your, like you said, your be all end all review, but even with McCartney three been living with it since December, I've mm-hmm. probably listened to it at least 50 times yeah. all the way through. And, and, and who knows, you know, where I'll stand a year from now, there's always the, um, the, the potential for recency bias, but yeah, where I am right now, uh, after living with it for whatever, five months, I guess, I, I think it's a, a very strong record overall. I, if I were to rank all my, uh, my personal favorite McCartney records, it would definitely be in the top half mm-hmm. easily. I'd say, actually, I don't know if it would make top 10 right now, but good. <laughs> How'd you compare it to the last couple of albums as well, like New and Egypt, and Egypt Station? I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that I like it more than Egypt Station. I, I liked Egypt Station just fine, uh, but the the lows on Egypt Station mm-hmm. for me are much lower than any of the lows on McCartney 3. I actually, I think New, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's underrated. I think it, people generally rate it higher, but I, I, I found it a little surprising how strong the praise was for Egypt station, I think compared to new after a little bit of time, Mm. in my opinion may change on this later, but I think new, I don't want to say it's easily better. Maybe it's just that it's more concise. And again, there's more lows on Egypt station for me, but I I think that new is a very solid record. Uh, That said, I, I think even though his vocals are probably better as a whole on new, I probably would go for McCartney three potentially before new right now. That could be recency bias as well. But, you know, if those are the the three releases of original music for the tens, I think it's a hell of a way to, to close it out. And uh, it's definitely not the worst of them. Kind of, you know, to, to echo everyone else, I know you can make an argument that electric arguments in some ways could have been a McCartney record, but... Yeah, I, 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 you can count me amongst those who who heard this and kind of wish that he'd done more of these types of records over the years. That there wasn't a forty-year break in between mm. Maca two and Maca three. I hope he doesn't ruin it by doing like Maca four in like three years or something stupid like that. That would that would be very irksome for the uh, collector in me who likes things to be very rigid he seems he seems to be self-aware Enough, of the fact yeah. that it has to be a year ending in a zero. So, I mean, and who knows if we'll want to hear McCartney for uh, from an 88 year old Paul, uh, you know, we'll, there were, we'll see what happens. Yeah, like there were McCartney four jokes though. the moment McCartney three was announced, of course. Um, of course. The, the issue of availability of the four bonus songs from McCartney three has already been well documented by every fucking podcast that exists. But tell me. How do you feel about those four so-called bonus tracks in terms of new content? Was McCartney 3 desperately lacking in some extra trimmings mm. as a product no. as a product to buy? 
Well, what, what exactly do you mean? Like, do you, do you think there wasn't, are you asking me if I don't think there was enough material or are you asking me if I think that those four bonus tracks were necessary? I don't know. Uh, those four bonus tracks to me are a signal that the people at Capital and at MPL didn't have a lot of stuff to work with in terms of what Paul gave them. Uh, I may, may, maybe, you know, in the way that Paul is being honest in the sense that he didn't think he was creating an album and therefore maybe there's not a glut of you know, unused material and extra songs in that regard, but... Well, I think certainly coming off the back of Egypt Station, which, had, what, what was the final count? It was close to 10 songs that, that didn't make the record that were then eventually released. Still some unheard stuff, I'm pretty sure, as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there are. And, and, and this is, you know, a, a pattern of Paul's throughout the years, um... Very few albums, I mean, so far with the records that have been released, the archive collection, the only ones that have been really, quote unquote, lacking in extra material are Wings at the Speed of Sound, Pipes of Peace, even Flaming Pie. Most of that, those were demos of of the songs ended up on the record. Mm. So, yeah, I think McCartney 3 is one of those and really the first McCartney record it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of extra stuff which I think is fine you know there's obviously the ongoing ever-present conversation of you know what is behind Paul's decision making you look at some of the stuff that was put on Egypt Station left off Mm -hmm. the stuff that was put on Red Rose Speedway left off flowers in the dirt so on so forth uh but you know I I just don't think there needs to be a lot of overthinking. I think, I mean, clearly, even with the 11 tracks that made the record, one of them is from 1992 and one of them is from the the Egypt Station Mm -hmm. session. So, you know, not a huge wealth of new material and that's fine because the record came out fine. As far as the bonus material goes, I don't, I see no reason why those couldn't have just been put up on the website, you know, available for, download i i I, granted i i'm not a collector i don't necessarily have the collector's mindset but people who were going out of their minds to make sure they had to get these bonus tracks and then hearing them i think i would be disappointed if i shelled out a lot of money just to get those not that they're bad they're certainly interesting you know hearing how sliden came about in the sound check the phone demo of kiss of venus i think is really interesting it's fun homework, but it's not. It's it's not. You know exactly. Uh, it's not the same as hearing Frank, Frank Sinatra's, Sinatra's party, party yeah. or Home Tonight, or it's just like whoa, whoa. You know where's this from? You know, um, and then and then you know you can have those fun conversations of like, oh, if I'm making my version of this record, what am I putting on? Like, yeah, I just think it, it, it's sort of interesting, and I guess to sort of segue to what we're going to talk about, which is mm-hmm. this album as a whole and the material on this record. Um, you know, talking a little bit with some of the creators of, of those other podcasts that you were referring to that may or may not exist, just talking about the, the McCartney machine in general mm. and everything that that means, especially for these last two records, all the different variations and, and promotion and Paul has obviously never shied away from promotion, finding different platforms. And Capital will you know, pay for re- it as well at the end of the day. They will. Oh, they will. But, you know, to give credit where it's due, Paul has made his fair share of mistakes or slip-ups over the years, but 
the last two records, he has hit some grand slams. I mean, the, the James Corden appearance for in Egypt Station. I mean, that that was one of the most talked about things that year. You know, that, that was, was on it. so many people's. It's, and it still is because it's fascinating. And for this, you know, certainly the the context of why and how this record was created, you know, in the face of a pandemic and what it means and everything. I mean, he's really, you know, we can talk whether he deserves the the label of the master PR man, but from a PR perspective, he really has knocked it out of the park. Um, but, you know, I guess, yeah, sort of segueing into this record and talking about certain things and how necessary they are. You know, you look at the hype machine for this record and the big thing around it was how many editions there were, you know, how many mm. different colors and, and then the CDs with the bonus tracks and so on and so forth. And some of them are really cool. They're coming from third man records. And then you kind of have your normal quote unquote, your target or best buy exclusive, so on and so forth. And, and so now here we are where yeah five four or five months out from the record it's not on the charts anymore i don't believe uh that's that's ken michael's avenue but you know it's not on the charts anymore uh if you pay attention to the grand scheme of beatles podcasts most people have kind of moved on from talking about it not because we don't like it but you just you have so much exhaustive coverage leading up to it Mm -hmm. when it's released the immediate aftermath you can only say so much at a certain point. And so now here we are and, and we're putting this out and I, you know, there's a lot of potential reasons as to why this happened and what it ultimately means, mm-hmm. who it's marketed towards, who it really is going to appeal to. And Oh, you're touching I, on, you're, you're, interested- you were touching on so many things that I, <laughs> that, that I really do want I, to bring up here. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, just, just, to cl- just to close it out, I guess, it, it, we're about to go song by song through this record, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you think mm-hmm. as it pertains to the, the eventual big tie-in of what is this ultimately going to prove or mean in the grand scheme of this record and mm-hmm. its legacy you know, it's immediate impact, how it's viewed in the future, so on and so forth. But I'll I'll shut up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, flash forward to March 11th. We get the announcement along with the Dominic Fike single and the music video. And mm-hmm. we get a great bit of copy about Three Imagined here that, that, that I just love. It's an extension of the instantly beloved McCartney 3 while standing on its own as a brilliant and adventurous milestone in the McCartney discography. <laughs> so this is announced, and were you were you particularly excited to hear about this release? Did you want something like an Explorer's Edition, or were you kind of excited that he was doing something different than, say, what he'd done on New and Egypt Station? So I was very excited for this honestly not just because it was different but firstly because i am a big fan of of more than half of the artists or or uh, on this right i say a big fan i am fan of you know to varying degrees they're a big fan or a casual fan of more than half the artists on this and the other aspect of that is you know, there's a large faction of Beatles and and McCartney fans in general, both of the older generation, but e- even some newer generation 
uh, of fans who they kind of live in that mindset of, you know, there's no good music, you know, old, you know, old music is way better, so on and so forth. And, you know, thankfully, I think sort of the greater community as it pertains to, you know, podcasting and whatnot, I, I truly think that most people in that realm have at the very least an open mind about it if if they're not an active fan of a lot of new music. But like at the, at the end of the day, I think that's that's the bare minimum, you know, because even between you and I, there are genres or artists we may not like, but we are fans enough of music in general to keep an open mind. You know, I'm not a fan of metal, but, you know, if someone's like, hey, man, I really think you should check out this Mastodon record or song, I'm going to go into it like, all right, if you are, you know, suggesting this to me, then I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. It's more so, you know, I, I, I don't want I don't want any uh, Paul or nothing fans who might interact with you to take offenses because I don't necessarily mean them. But you really do see it on social media, Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, so on and so forth. Uh, mostly coming from the older generation of like blah, 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 new music. There's no good music made after 1985. Blah, blah. And so for me as someone, again, who is a musician and, and works in the music industry and uh, wants to certainly harvest a, a good uh, music, I don't know what you want to call it, music scene moving forward or just mm-hmm. music in general continuing to put out and harvest good music, uh, t- to have this record coming out feature these artists who I think are really fantastic and to kind of force some of these people to listen to them and pay attention. I was extremely, extremely excited for that. I totally get that. I mean, I guess right away, I was kind of hoping for some kind of expanded McCartney three, but Mm -hmm. without giving too much away, I just don't think the material's there. Yeah. I just think this this is just a much more exciting way for him to kind of create a sister product Mm -hmm. to go along with McCartney three. You know, yes, the, the idea of doing one of these albums is quite a modern and contemporary move. I know, like, you'll get a new Lady Gaga or Ariana Grande or Beyonce album, and then a couple of months later, you'll have some new album artwork, and it's just remixes, or maybe just an album of all the remixes that were featured on all the singles, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, McCartney 3 didn't even have singles. It had highlight tracks that we saw. But... I'm actually a lot more interested in this as an idea post listening to the album now. I'm totally a convert at this point. I'm totally behind McCartney 3 and what it was going for, at least conceptually. Mm. Uh, we'll, go, we'll get onto the song by song shortly. I also just like the idea that maybe McCartney just straight up didn't want to do the same thing twice. He's like, no, we're not doing... Because, yeah. I mean, he's probably heard a lot of the hate and the comments that went towards a lot of the marketing of the last couple of albums as well. And maybe someone at MPL had said, oh, Paul, people are saying you're going to do a casino version of McCartney 3 with a roulette table. It's like, oh, God, I'm, I can't do that. That's expected. I'll do this, you know? Well, yeah, and on top of that, I mean, Paul's never kept it a secret that he both pays attention to new music and enjoys new music, but that he, he yearns for an association with, with newer acts. I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly, you know, Michael Jackson in the eighties and 
And then in recent years, you know, Kanye West and Rihanna getting together with, you know, Ryan Tedder for some tracks on Egypt Station, so on and so forth. He's he's never, you know, some of the stuff with Taylor Swift recently. So, I, you know, this is the first time, though, he's done some select tracks with those artists. Uh, but this is the first time he's ever, you know, put together a full, real collaborative mm-hmm. project, even though he ultimately isn't collaborating with them one-on-one, mm-hmm. having his name attached to it and his name associated with these artists. And what I think is especially cool about it, too, is that it's, you know, this record could have been Taylor Swift and, uh, you know, BTS and and a lot of these groups. And if that's what he wanted to do, then all the power to him. And I don't want to imply that those artists are any less, but I do think it's, like you said, different and interesting and cool that he's going more so in general for some indie acts underground acts mm-hmm. alternative acts you know i mean yeah he's also just ticking off a lot of boxes of motherfuckers he should have worked with by now but hasn't like when you're when you when you're looking at the ages of some of these guys you're like oh yeah i'm pretty sure the guy from the gorillas is about 25 no he's not he's like he's like 53 now or something it's like oh okay i'm yeah. glad we finally got to this you know I mean, you worked with Beck's producer for Chaos and Creation. Like, how did it take you this long to do something with Beck, who might be the most well-known artist on here, I I would say? Worldwide, probably, yeah. Yeah, I would say, and and both in terms of how long he's been known for a long time, and his popularity has never waned. I think Beck is still a... Mm-hmm. Pretty popular and, and, artist. And, I mean, uh, critically as well, yeah. But yeah, you are right. Yeah. I was glad to see some more obscure ones on here because you know the word we are seeing around here in all of the copy and print is Paul has curated this album, and I I do like that idea that this is basically Paul going, yeah. So uh, I do actually listen to current music rather than actually introduce you to their music. I'll introduce you to them through my music and that's just basically the most Paul, Paul McCartney thing ever I really do enjoy that. I just want to point out to the audio listeners of this podcast that Sam has yet to do a McCartney impression without immediately scratching his nose first <laughs> you have to do and it it's a... you have to do it <laughs> you know uh, you know that's why you should subscribe to the this is why you guys subscribe to the Patreon people. Where can you get this content otherwise? I I think I give quite a physical performance actually, more than like just someone just going, "Hello and welcome to the podcast." This is just me. Yes. You get you get crazy backgrounds as well, you know. Um, I'm looking at you right now. I'm entertained. Hey, <laughs> right. Two last questions. Then we'll do the song by song. Mostly okay. because again, this is a covers album. You don't have to go in depth like you know, just discussing lyrics and stuff like that. So. You know, I get to dawdle in these early intro segments, which is my favorite bit, really. Um, you do love dawdling. Dylan, without sounding like a horribly ageist individual here, and I reckon you might know where this question's going, would you say that this album is directly geared at an age range more akin to our own than, say, the average Paul Beatle fan or even podcaster? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I, you yeah, know, and I don't think that that's ageist at all. I, I think that that is direct marketing. It's very apparent to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I, you know, if, if we're looking at it just from an honest standpoint, we are McCartney super fans and, 
you know, you we're, we're both, I get younger, you know, you're late twenties, I'm early thirties. And so a lot of people in our age range, they, you know, anyone with two ears and a heart likes the Beatles to some degree. And, you know, they, they probably know about uh, Paul McCartney and they like him, but they might see a new mm-hmm. McCartney record come out and they're not going to buy it or seek it out mm-hmm. with the same sort of, you know, excitement that we are. But if they see this, they're more so tuned into artists like St. Vincent, Phoebe Bridgers, mm-hmm. Beck, Krongbin. You know, these are artists that, and again, some of those are more well-known than others, but, you know, people who are tapped into this sort of, again, whatever you want to call it, indie, alternative, I don't even it's want like to say underground. Thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not not underground. Most of these are are well known to to some degree but i know for me if i'm thinking of of an artist who i am vaguely okay i'm vaguely a fan of steve miller okay Mm. you know i i like the fly like an eagle record that's honestly the only record i know front to back and i know the hits and i like them if steve miller put out a new record tomorrow i i can't say i'd be racing to hear it Mm -hmm. but if i saw hey steve miller's new record as covered by Wilco and My Morning Jacket and, you know, Jenny Lewis, I would be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's smart. I think it's extremely smart. Um, and again, it, it plays into that. Um, and, but, but that's also what I was saying earlier. It's definitely geared at that. But I was so excited when this was announced because it is geared at that. But because there are enough older McCartney fans who might have that sort of stuck in the past mm-hmm. mindset, but they're also going to listen to and check out everything. I mean, that's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they might not like everything on this, but if there's, you know, one guy out there in his sixties who hasn't listened to a new record since born in the USA, but he finds that he's really digging, uh, yeah. What Josh Homme is doing or, or Phoebe Bridgers is doing or whatever, then, that's awesome. I, I, I think that's great. I like that. I do like that idea. And this is going to start an interesting conversation surrounding McCartney's music. And I don't mean to sound like I'm reading from the same playbook as a lot of these publications, but I think this album really <laughs> is making you look at McCartney in a whole new way and reinforcing why he is still great and still the master and still the, the real melody maker. Mm-hmm. In terms of marketing, though, there is a lot of me that listens to this album and does think to myself, you know, oh, I could not imagine certain unnamed people I've had on this show in enjoying this at all. I don't think they're going to enjoy this whatsoever. And I'm saying this as someone who is completely out of the loop and not in touch with modern music at all, but it felt immediately very contemporary. And I was like, oh, okay, this sounds like a modern pop album. It's very well produced. It's very <laughs> slick. It's very ambient. There's ASMR going on on this thing. It's not very hook based it's more mellow and it's just kind of all about atmosphere not to put too far a point on it dylan i'm gonna call this a stoner album i could see that the hardest drug i've ever done is tylenol pm yeah um i mean though i did once take uh <sighs> after uh surgery i had to take some vicodin once and i watched yellow submarine and oh, it was great awesome <laughs> No, I will uh, say that. to me, this album immediately sounded like something you would you would put on, and just and just completely get get lost in. I don't think that is a, an unfair assessment. Yeah. Yep. 
before we before we before we do jump in, have you gone ahead and got and got on the hype train and ordered a copy of this, or are you happy with the digital release we've got now? Well, I will I will say um, Spotify is you know, and I won't make this a huge tangent. Not that I ever go off on huge tangents ever, um, especially about you know Bob Dylan's discography when we're trying to talk about something else in another show. More on that later, folks. Um, uh. It's a two-way street with Spotify. Spotify is an unbelievable service as a as a fan of music to be able to access, you know, whatever you want, whenever you want. Uh, unfortunately, it is a terrible, uh, almost evil business model as an artist, and it's a it's a horrible thing for me sometimes to try to almost justify using because I do use Spotify and I love Spotify. At the same time, I think it's ridiculous that. Peter Frampton can have baby. I love your way streamed 75 million times in one year. Mm. And he makes like just barely over a hundred thousand dollars for that. You know, you make 0.0001 cent per stream. Um, so, you know, we won't get into the the, uh, the ins and outs of Oh, no, we are all capitalism about, and... we're all about physical media here. <laughs> uh, Paul, all nothing. Well, yeah, I, I mean, so I recommend, and this is what I try to do when I, when I have the means, but what I recommend to anyone, certainly who has the means, what I think Spotify is ultimately best for is check something out. And if you like it, support the artist and, and buy it, buy the physical media because they're not making money off of you streaming it on mm-hmm. Spotify. I'm not saying to get rid of it. I am saying uh, whoever's the head of Spotify, if you're listening, uh, stop being an evil capitalist motherfucker and pay your artists. You know, not necessarily an anti-capitalist here. There's pros and cons, you know, but um, terrible business model. And I will say that I, we can go into the tracks. My initial uh, way of getting into that is by saying that I don't feel the need to buy a physical copy of it. Fair, fair, fair enough. No, that's fine. I've, I've definitely got that uh, Midas lust myself. I had to get the gold edition. I really did. The Patreon money sure. had just come through. It's just, it's just a click, isn't it? It's so easy. It's just a click, just a, a click, a click, and it's gone. You know, <laughs> just actually, just uh, quickly, um, just before we, mm. we, we go on, just talking about Spotify. I do feel like this album and the artists selected are very geared towards that Spotify, not business model, but the the uh, the user interface and and the way you navigate streaming services. Because but so Spotify is going to auto generate now eleven playlists. Now there'll be a new Josh Harm playlist called This Is Josh Harm, and it will now feature the three Imagine cover and the 200 some mm-hmm. thousand people that listen to that playlist will now go, oh, he's on this. And boom, this is so designed for a streaming generation. And the fact that it's come out so much earlier than the vinyl pressing for me is much more indicative of the fact that this is just a modern album for a modern audience and modern listening habits than it is something that was mm-hmm. even necessarily conceived as something that needed a physical product. Like, I think the physical product isn't something that's been delayed. It's literally been an afterthought. And they're like, oh, okay, we didn't realise that McCartney 3 was going to have this huge blower, and we're now having to kind of meet demand, as it were. Yeah, this is really a modern experience, this is. Yeah, I think what you're talking about, yeah, that, that just touches on, and I think really... Um, adds to the point you're making about this being a, a very intelligently calculated project. 
to to have it come out digitally before the release. Uh, in the business world, everything you're talking about, we call it big daddy algorithm. <laughs> you know, we're letting it take over and <laughs> we're oh. letting it create those playlists, add to those playlists. Um, because, you know, hopefully those of us in our generation who do recognize the importance of physical media will discover it through those ways and mm-hmm. and hopefully it will lead to that. I'm just thinking of like Big Daddy algorithm being a, a character in like the Matrix Four movie or something. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, you have my permission to use that. You human, we once let you humans pick your own music, but it failed. So we had to do it for you, Mr. Anderson. Right. You know, I give him credit for not even trying to hide it at this point, but yeah. Nah. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, no. Remember, uh, like, subscribe, uh, leave nice comments, give ratings to Paul or nothing, help us with Big Daddy <laughs> Algorithm. Just short it to Big Daddy Al as well, I think, is is, uh, is, is what yeah. you want. BDA, man. BDA, Big Daddy Al. Um, the first song we're going to talk about today was originally the non-single highlight track for McCartney 3, a.k.a. Find My Way. But this time it is brought to us by another singer who once sang about being a loser baby. This is Find My Way featuring. So for anyone out of the loop, Beck is an incredibly popular alternative rock icon. He's won eight Grammy Awards, gone platinum four times, and two of his albums are on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. First of all, though, Dylan, why is this song only featuring Beck? I'm going to get arsy throughout, throughout this whole thing. Uh, is this Beck being humble about his contribution with Paul? Does it mean he had help? I mean, shouldn't this be the Beck remix, if anything? Well, yeah, I, that's the other thing. Talking about what exactly this record is. Is it a remix album? Is yeah. it a covers album? So on and so forth. All, all of the tracks are listed as Paul McCartney featuring so-and-so. Some of the tracks, uh, you know, we'll get to one in a minute where it's like, well, this is basically all Paul. Mm-hmm. And then there are some tracks where I can't even tell if there's any Paul McCartney in mm-hmm. them. Uh, so that in and of itself, that makes it all the more confusing. Well, who in gets, my head, who gets yes. to choose what's written on the back? Is that is that Paul? Is that the artist? You know, it, it's probably to some degree they didn't want to go through the trouble of saying, okay, well, find my way will be the Beck remix lavatory lil will be the josh homie cover so and so so they just said okay it's all going to be featuring these people which is not accurate you are totally right this is a beck remix mm-hmm. right onto the song itself what's your hot take on the opening song dude come on let's let's talk three matches <laughs> yeah um right off the bat this is an extremely disappointing track for me <sighs> you know this is this is this, this is still. This is, yeah, this is going to be the episode. Oh, I knew it. Okay, here okay. we go. Oh. Yeah, let me. All right. So, Find My Way is still one of my favorite tracks on McCartney 3, largely mm-hmm. due to you know, it's got a great celebratory feel, you know, your classic Paul infectiousness. The mm-hmm. prospect of Beck tackling this song, who, who again, I think is one of the most inventive and outright talented artists of the last 30 years. I mean, that has me excited. I'm especially a huge fan of the record Squero and the information, which mm. if anyone listening is not, I mean, he has so many, y'all should check out those. You should check out Odile, you should check out Sea Changes, <laughs> so on and so forth. But, but especially Guero in the information, Wait. you listen to a song like Epro or Girl or Think I'm in Love, you know, and you can hear like, oh yeah, Beck doing Find My Way. 
totally hear that. And if he had approached this song in a similar manner to those albums, I think it would have been marvelous. Instead, he basically strips this song of all dynamic and melodic shifts and creates what I think is a pretty lifeless remix. And then you take into account it's over five minutes long. You can just barely hear him singing along. You really just hear Paul's vocal for most of the track. Mm. This this doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this more in a little bit as it pertains to another track, but it mm. seems like the prerogative here was just to create a vibe, and that's it. And it doesn't vibe with me. It never builds. It never falls. You th- None of that great, melodic infectiousness is present at all uh yeah it's not only is it a pass for me it's as a fan of beck and a admirer of beck disappointing you're gonna hear me use that word a lot disappointing well as someone who is who only says they're a fan of beck to impress their musical friends and someone who has no musical (laughs) talent whatsoever i gotta i gotta say the moment i heard this track I said to myself, if the whole album sounds like this kind of vibe, then I'm mostly going to be happy. And that's kind of what I've gotten. I th- I'm going to be, I'm going to be interested to, to see where this, where this review goes. Cause I am glad yeah. that the spirit of this track is pervasive across the entire album. There is so much of what I want yeah. from this kind of track. I guess, you know, it, he's not doing the kind of dance remixes of the eighties and nineties that, that we heard and th- mm-hmm. this is just an electronic cover done in whatever idiosyncratic way that the chosen artist has decided to do it. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of studio input or Paul input or meddling. And that was very much appreciated from me. And this just seems like someone messing about like mad Professor McCartney up up in, you know, Hog Hill Mill. And, you know, for someone who had anxieties over the fact that McCartney 3 wasn't a direct sequel to McCartney 2 and didn't, you know, continue the whole, you know, check my machine kind of ethos. The fact that I've gotten this kind of record now has kind of filled that void for me, really. This is a wickedly cool track for me. It's got a great chilled out atmosphere. I like those droning dreamlike tones and it, it just creates this enjoyably heavy-lidded malaise, you know? I guess it was kind of wise for them to to place this one first as well. It's probably one of the least extreme remixes from either end of the spectrum. Mm. I guess I, I guess maybe you you kind of feel like this song is the audio version of the visualizer music video that we got for it, which is just a kind of pointless little loop that doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> well, firstly, yes. Secondly, I'm I'm <laughs> secondly I'm offended that you would dare compare this to McCartney too, because when you think of this the tracks from McCartney too that are kind of like that Mad Hatter McCartney. All of this has this has shades of blue uh, blue sway. Come on, and the reason why blue sway and let's call a spade a spade. The reason why blue sway pales in comparison to temporary secretary and dark room and check my machine and those tracks is because those tracks feature. Wait for it, melody. A hook. Yeah, a melody. (laughs) And this is the this is the thing. Here we go. Like for me, okay. A perfect song for me hits really three. A perfect song for me 
is when you can really knock it out of the park with lyrics, melody, mm-hmm. and then whatever you want to call it, soundscape production instrumentals. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some tracks where you get two out of the three or you get one mm-hmm. out of the three, and it can still be great. It can still, I would say, even but like when you can hit all three, I mean, that's that's the best of the mm-hmm. best. With with this track... It doesn't do any of them the for you. Le- it doesn't do any of that. So like, yeah, because the, the lyrics are fine. But again, when you take them out of context, mm-hmm. like there's none of the, you know, those, I don't even know if there's any technical chord changes in this. The melody is somewhat dependent on the, the chord changes in the song. So the lyrics barely even matter. There's no melody to speak of. And there's, oh no, but to like, me, I mean, to, to talk but, about the lyrics though, that's like, I don't know. It's for me. It's like you, you know, like that 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 recent Zack Snyder where he's, uh, movie where he's recut the Justice League. It's just a recut of mm-hmm. the same stuff. Like it's entirely dependent on your previous association and familiarity with previous source material. Like this, I don't think this is ever meant to be listened to without someone being entirely Again, familiar. Again, yeah, I agree. Yeah. With Far My Way. Uh, which which is funny well, yeah, because I, for me, Find My Way wasn't a track I was particularly fond of when I first heard the album, and I have warmed to it since. But for me, this this covers totally made me appreciate it in a whole new way. I'm sorry. Well, but but honestly, but that's great. I like. I think ultimately that should be Boy. the intended effect. So and and so that's great. You know what I'm saying is just my opinion. I'm I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. For me, as someone who does like and appreciate this track, this does this version doesn't make me like or appreciate it anymore. And I, I, it does nothing. Everything that you're saying, you you like the tones and everything. Like it's not that it's not produced well. Of course, it's produced well. I mean, Beck is a hell of a producer. The, <laughs> it, all the 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 tones and and the way it's equalized and everything. Yeah, it sounds great. But who cares if something sounds great if there's nothing to? For me, I can't just be like, "Wow, that bass sounds really good. I like this track." You know, that doesn't do anything. This for is me. all surface level. Then there's no substance for you here. That's it. okay. Yeah, I get that. No, there's absolutely no substance to it. And and again, when I say it's disappointing, it's because mm. everything I've said is how I feel, and it's Beck. Like if this was just <laughs> any other, if this yeah. was the Find no, My uh, Way yeah. 2021 remix, like if Beck's name wasn't attached to it, I'd be, I would feel the same way. I'd be like. I don't ever need to hear this again. This is completely pointless. The fact that it has Beck's name attached to it, I'm like, wait, what? It, to me, it's the same as when you hear Rockestra and you're like, okay, this is fine, I guess. And you're like, wait, he had John Bonham and Pete Townsend in the studio and he didn't give any of them anything different to do? They're just doing the same thing? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter that Beck did this to me because when you know what Beck is capable of, that's what makes it disappointing to me. That's oh my god! Proper hot takes here today, folks. This is this is why I had this. Oh, I mean, we're show. just oh getting we're god. getting we're just getting started. I'm so <laughs> excited to get to get through the rest of this album now. <laughs> in second place, we have the first of the digital only singles that was released in the lead up to this album. Came out on the announcement day, the 11th of March, 2021. Had a proper music video, like I say. It's called "The Kiss of Venus," Dominic Fike version. Dylan, you're a little more on the pulse than me. Have you ever heard of this kid? Uh, no, I can't say I was familiar with Dominic until this project. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I don't think it would be appropriate or fair for me to pass judgment on him as an artist, because based on this track and a few songs of his that I've sampled, he he seems to live in a musical world that just isn't really my thing in general. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah, kind of this, it's this amalgam of, you know, R&B, bedroom pop, hip hop, very, very popular. I wouldn't call this, sorry, a squirrel just ran into my garage uh, window and it startled me. You know, I, I think I, I did just very surface level research. It seemed like he got his, start on soundcloud and that's a, yeah. a thing you'll hear you'll hear the term soundcloud oh, this guy's so millennial he he does concerts on Fortnite, yeah. you know yeah which like again i i just don't even have an opinion on it i think people who waste their time trying to have an opinion on it that's even like i don't see how you could like what if people like it that's all that matters mm. like i'm not gonna get mad at someone or something for that but yeah i, I I don't want to say he's good or bad because I don't have an accurate gauge of how to critique this genre because mm. I don't really enjoy it. I think he clearly has some talent, but I don't, I just don't particularly enjoy this. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of how he sings it. I don't think the lyrics that he added enhance it Okay, really. So yeah, I don't know. It's just not really my cup of tea, but again, I, I don't think it would, be extremely fair for me to say well, this is bad or this sucks or he sucks like mm. i'm i'm just not really into this so well, speaking of english tea i f- i think this song is very twee very me if if i'm honest originally mm-hmm. wasn't taken by this one at all i was quite shocked i was like oh god what have they done yeah it's like the bit in the mummy when yeah. he's got the book of the dead he's like what have we done like <laughs> that was my first thought And right here, folks, is where Dylan's phone actually decided to overheat and turn off, basically, which cut the feed. And you will be able to hear my mad ramblings and reactions if you are subscribed to the Patreon, as all of this raw audio and the uncut video version of this podcast via Zoom is made available there. And after a couple of minutes of charging his phone, Dylan finally comes back on and we jump right back into the conversation. And he's just joining us now. That is never. Yeah. That has never I've, happened. I've just been talking to the people at home. I've never heard of like an iPhone overheating. Like normally an iPhone overheating involves like someone's pocket being blown out or something. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a screenshot of it after we're done with this. It was so weird. Oh, gosh. Where were we? Sorry. I, ho- I hope you. I hope this doesn't fuck up your editing. No, it's going to be it's gonna be funny for the video, though. It's going to be def- it's definitely going to be funny for the <laughs> exactly. video. Exactly. And I kept talking Patreon as well. Patreon exclusive. I just, I just kept riffing. I was like saying, you know, the squirrel attacked you. Dominic Fike's fans attacked you, and or like the squirrels, the Dominic Fike fan. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, there was Beck got word that I was dissing. There was, there was probably a, you know, a bad Trump impression or a Biden impression in there somewhere as well. You know, <laughs> all that in like three minutes. You know, huh? when I was a kid, you could even kiss Venus. You know, it's crazy. You know, it's it's our fake joke, crazy joke, talking about kissing planets again, folks. I didn't, I'm not making, I didn't say it. I'm, I just heard it, you know. Listen, everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows crazy joke kisses Venus. But I'm talking about Venus Williams. He can't, he can't keep his hands off her, no. folks. He can't, he can't do it. <laughs> and when you're a celebrity, they just let yeah. you do it. <laughs> they just actually kiss Venus. It's, it's crazy. You go up in a spaceship with Elon Musk, you kiss a planet. It's crazy. 
the new Paul or Nothing riff hour where we were, where we just riff. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Right. All right, so I don't know how but, you want to jump yeah. back into this. But. So this was a song I did not vie with at all when it first came out. I was a bit like, oh, my God, what have they done with this? Though now that yeah. I've, I've, I've listened to it, within the whole context of the album, it makes a whole lot more sense to me. And, you know, having mm-hmm. had the benefit of having been able to listen to this longer than all of the other tracks as well, I have been able to naturally warm to it. I think this is a grower from the album. And if anything now, I kind of think it's a little bit too short. I wish there was a bit more of it. In terms of composition with this one, we get some parts where he uses parts of the original track. Then we get some original guitar parts. But then he adds to it, he adds new compositions, new score new orchestration and new lyrics as you mentioned which is quite interesting but for me it was still quite recognizably descended from the original kiss of kiss of venus the lyrics feature the what's your take on it lyric that appears in the video and that was part of the ad campaign for this album like what's your take on it like a hashtag that never really took off i will agree with you that the lyrics don't really add anything thematically to the song, as far as I can tell. I'm reading them here. It's just about him talking about he, he and his baby reading the paper, and I don't really get what it's what it's got to do with the kiss of Venus. I mean, Paul read about it in a book, I guess, but it it seems like a really bad example of like mashing two songs together, which is quite a McCartney-esque idea, and I appreciate the effort and the experimentation, mm. but... This is a song that I don't particularly listen to all that intently. And it, if it is part of this vibe that I do think it is, then it's just, no, 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 just it's kind of in the background. I'm not particularly absorbing it in that way. But look, my love for this song is just, it's mostly down to the production. This is, this is slick. It's bright. It's playful. It's got a very mm-hmm. modern spin on that kind of silly love song vibe. You know, it's, it's got that kind of bubbly, soapy kind of kind of sound to it. And rather uniquely, you know, it's, it's a canvas that, like the whole album, it's a remix, a cover, a reinterpretation. And it does kind of interweave it rather seamlessly for me, but I know it's going to have a, a big fur you-like reaction with the fan base where people are, some <laughs> people are just not going to like this and that's fine. But I think you can't, you cannot be objectively not impressed by the the work that's clearly gone in, gone into this track. I think I, I, I think it's really quite strong. Absolutely, and I would say even even though it's not my cup of tea, uh, I actually I I do like it better than some other songs on the record. Oh and and I, I I I do agree with you on that. And as far as the whole for you thing goes. To be honest, yeah, I would. I would actually probably. I get. I, I don't know if I'd say I'd rather listen to this, but I think some of the issue that uh, at least some people have is that for you is Paul's attempt to be doing a a modern contemporary mm-hmm. thing, where this is actually a contemporary artist doing it, which I think, you know, it's still not going to be your cup of tea mm-hmm. at the end of the day, but. You know, I think it makes more sense with a younger artist doing this sort of thing. And I will say the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, God, I, I hate this, you know, because it's it's really not this is not a style of music I particularly enjoy. But, you know, having heard the it, you know, five or six times now, I I still don't like it, but 
in a way it has grown on me. Mm-hmm. I don't have a visceral reaction to it. I actually kind of like how short it is, mm-hmm. probably because if it was longer, then I, I would have a harder time getting through it. It's not obnoxious. I, I know no, what you're, you're saying. Right, you're right. And uh, it does yeah. end with a very McCartney-esque, silly, high-pitched voice that was like, yeah, Paul liked that. Yeah. I, I, I definitely know he did. Absolutely. In third place, we have the first track that we heard nothing at all from in the lead up to the release of the album, and it's brought to us by a three-piece whose name you mentioned earlier. Uh, this is Pretty Boys featuring, what are they called? Do you mind saying it for me? Krongbin. Krongbin. Not only had we heard none of this song, but I heard nothing of the band. Like I said, there are three peaks from Houston, Texas, Laura Lee on bass, Mike Spear on guitar, and Donald Ray, DJ Johnson Jr. on drums. The band is known for blending global music into their sound, with their debut album drawing from a history of Thai music in the 1960s, specifically from Luk Thung, with their second album having influences from Spain and the Middle East. Dylan, mm-hmm. this is some fresh-ass material to chew on here. Did you enjoy what the band brought to this song? Did you enjoy their take? Of all the tracks I was looking forward to... This was, this was your hype one, okay. I think this one let me down the most because Krongbin is a really, really cool group. I am particularly fond of their first record at Ooh. universe smiles upon you cool. and their most recent record, which I think is pronounced Mordechai. <laughs> it's like Mordecai, <laughs> but there's an H in there. Um, but like you said, yeah, they blend a lot of really interesting sounds together and they're, they're mostly an instrumental group. Um, mm-hmm. they, they have a couple songs over there. I, th- I think they have three records overall. Um, and th- there's a couple songs with vocals in there, but they're mostly instrumental, but, really great stuff and you know in my mind when they're at their best they're able to tie together all those different influences with super strong grooves and these melodies that are somehow really subtle Mm -hmm. but also super strong so again the prospect of them tackling this song which also happens to have subtly strong melodies and a nice groove and presumably adapting it to their style. I mean, I was over the moon. And instead, we get we get hints of the melody in there, but kind of like <laughs> find my way, what Beck did with it. So much of it has been stripped in f- favor of this listless groove. And a lot of what they do is groove-based, but but the reason I like them is because they still like they always have something going. They're only a three-piece, but the way that they are able to incorporate either the guitars or the keyboards is so interesting and fascinating and melodic, and it's great. And it's just, it's not here. The groove, it's just the groove. And on top of that, they sample some of Paul's voice, and I don't think it fits well, you know, given the state of Paul's voice. So much of his vocal success depends not just on his actual performance, but how it sits in the production. Mm -hmm. So when you take it out of context from the album version, I don't think it sounds particularly pleasing. Like the way that he will end some of the lines based off of, I don't know if it's probably just because they're not like adapting the chord progression. Mm -hmm. The way that some of the lines end and tail off are not very pleasing. Objects of design, like that. Yeah. This... (laughs) God, this one 
was so disappointing for me. So disappointing. Oh my god, this is this is a trip down the rabbit hole for me today. I I have no idea <laughs> what what is what is coming next. For me, as someone who was not the biggest fan of Pretty Boys, it must be said the first time around, I I guess I would have called it the best of the tracks I didn't like from the album. <laughs> and right off the bat, I can declare that this is probably one of the greatest improvements in a track as far as I'm concerned. Oh, God, Sam. Uh, I, again, you have I don't hate Pretty such Boys. Such a wrong opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't. This is this is turning what I would call quite a minor McCartney composition into this McCartney two esque ethereal stream of consciousness experience. And for me, that was a really exciting thing to listen to. Like it's so mysterious, and again, it's that dreamlike atmosphere carried on from the opening track. And I guess like the idea of dreams really works on this album because I am so familiar with McCartney three, and it is like deja vu. And it's like, oh, wait, 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 what? And a lot of this is, again, predicated on the fact that I really like McCartney 3. So if there's anything from McCartney 3 that I didn't like, and now I'm really vibing with it on this album, I am taking note because, you know, Spotify and Big Daddy Algorithm aren't the only people that can make playlists. <laughs> and maybe... I don't have to hear Paul play the acoustic guitar on this version anymore. Maybe I'll just have Krongbin's version instead. Who knows? There were some great scratchy Devo-esque, talking head-esque staccato style guitar ringing out in the background that I really liked. I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess you're probably going to hate this. What I enjoyed about it most was how unrecognisable from the original source material it was. Yeah, really impressed by this track. I didn't think the original was very fruitful or bountiful for this kind of project and for them to do what they did with it. There are so many aspects of what you just said that are so wrong. You need I, podcasters I like me. I, <laughs> I don't listen. You, Dylan, you can't handle the truth. I, there's so many. Firstly, I don't appreciate that you are assuming the Nicholson role while I have to be the Scientologist. Hey, um, son, let me tell but, you something. <laughs> there are people like dude. me who have to host podcasts, and there are things I know that you could never know. Okay, well, if you knew anything, you would know that the way that Pretty Boys is produced uh. on the record is one of the most multi-layered and fascinating productions on the original record between the way the background vocals are produced, the way that all the guitar tones are produced, the way that the melody happens, all aspects that are not present whatsoever in a song like Deep Down, which is barely a composition. So for you to call Pretty Boys a minor composition is the most outrageous thing I have ever heard. You're goddamn and, right and I called I'm, it that. I am saying this again, and I cannot stress this enough. I am saying this as a fan of Krongbin. That is why oh I'm so disappointed. God. Listen to the song Two Fish and an Elephant from their first record, and you will hear a band that is so – this is like – I think it's the second track off their first album, and this is a band that already understands the intricacies of – creating an undeniable groove mm. with a beautiful melody and and it's almost i wouldn't call it minimalist but it, it's just such an impressive 
composition and production. And, and there's so many other great songs there's across their three records. And man, I just, it's all subjective, but mm. I mean, you're just wrong. You're so, you're, I, 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 we have disagreed on this show before that I don't think I've ever vehemently disagreed with you on something as much as I disagree with this, but you know, what fun I guess would this episode uh, be to listen to if we agreed on it? Leave but, it, leave it, Dylan. It's Chinatown. See, I've, I've, I've allowed you to assume the Jack Nicholson role there. I've uh, got my, <laughs> I've got my Shining poster somewhere in here. I'm about to fucking break down your door with an axe. Have you ever taken, <laughs> Dylan? Have you ever taken one single second to think of the pressure I have, the the commitment I have to my podcasting audience? Did it you ever occur to you? Pressure. Did it? You don't know. You don't know the pressure that I have because so many people. Stay I've listened me. to so many people slag off Pretty Boys as a uh, either a as a low light or a minor composition, and it's just such a lazy. I I I I can't even. Uh, I can't. I you know. I as <laughs> as a sixteen year old white teenage girl might say, I can't even. I'm just, I'm, just so. pic- I'm just picturing me on a bed with, with my arm around you, and you're like, Sam, you, you'd you never say anything bad about pretty boys, would you? I'm like, no, Sam, I'd never say nothing. Uh, we, you know, we should, we should just, we should just move on yeah, because I'm, um, I'm upset and, and yeah, well, we, we uh, won't find common ground here. No, uh, we're going to move on to uh, the first self described straight up remix. And this time around, it's brought to us by one of modern music's great underrated guitarists and one of the only artists in my life that I've ever discovered on my own, thanks to Big Daddy Algorithm. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, this is also like the last track in the same track listing position as the original album, which is, is worth pointing out in its own way. This is Women and Wives, the St. Vincent remix. Yes, folks, I'm a huge Annie Clark fanboy to the point whereby I would not even publicly slag off that horror short she directed a few years ago that actually kind of sucked. <laughs> but overall, St. Vincent's one of my favourite artists alive. I'm really looking forward to her new album, Daddy's Home. I'm probably a bit too biased for this review. But if you don't know her, she's a two-time Grammy Award-winning rock pop star who's even done an album with David Byrne. Why can't she do one with McCartney based on this song? Dylan, for me, Women and Wives was a song I didn't need like from McCartney 3 at all. It was the worst song from the album as far as I was concerned. And when I found out Annie Clark was going to take a stab at it, at first I was like, oh, can't she do like Deep Down or something? But then I was like, no, no, you know what? The best have to deal with the worst. You know, you, that she, she's going she's gonna to do more with less. And my <laughs> God... I mean, a part of this might be my, my lowered expectations towards this album, but I can't ever imagine a situation now where I'm going to listen to the original Women and Wives again. I've got this version now. Mm. That's it. Yeah, I, I I would just like to echo your sentiments about St. Vincent. I mean, what an unbelievable guitarist, vocalist, songwriter, performer, overall musician. Mm-hmm. I, she she's i think in that echelon of artists where you know even if you don't enjoy her music you you have to be reaching to try to deny her talent mm-hmm. even if you don't enjoy it i mean she's it's inarguable how great she is and 
got a great live cover of Dig a Pony that is worth looking up. Oh yeah, I, I would say. Maybe we'll be talking about that at some point in the future. Who knows? Who Perhaps. Knows? Who knows? So I'll agree with you on one thing, which is that I'm also not the biggest fan of women and wives. May, maybe my second least favorite on the record. Uh, I don't, I don't dislike it. It just, it kind of slogs by for me a little bit. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just, maybe it's because I've wanted for so long for Paul to really embrace, you know, the, the state of his voice and do kind of a more organic earthy sort of approach a la Tom Waits or some of the old grizzle bluesmen. But you know, when you heard some of these comparisons to lead belly and stuff, I got really excited than hearing this, and, <laughs> you know, I, as a lead belly fan, I'm like, this couldn't be far uh, other than him trying to ape some of the vocal sort of inflections. So that all said, um, you know, I, I know I'm already sounding like a broken record, but as a fellow St. Vincent fan, is there not is 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 there not enough melody in this for you? Uh, it's not that, but it didn't live up to <laughs> the hype. I shouldn't say it didn't live up to expectations because I, I didn't know what to expect with this particular track. Mm-hmm. But I think I did expect I'd like it a lot more than this because of how fantastic she is, mm-hmm. and we we get a great guitar solo yeah. from her here. And, I did, which I is, did not know we needed this solo and uh, it shreds it's i mean honestly it's the first musical section i really like up to this point in the album uh listening through to this album when that guitar solo hit i was like finally like something that i can really grab Mm -hmm. onto that i'm like you know this is great um but yeah but you know I'm, i'm already not the biggest fan of his vocal on the original and it's it's to me, it's ever so slightly more laboring here because of how slowed down mm-hmm. it is. So it's kind of harder to get through. And, you know, kind of like the lyrics that that Dominic Fike added to Kiss of Venus, the backing vocals she adds in here, I just don't, it's not that they're bad, but they just don't, they, to me, they're unnecessary. They don't do a whole oh, lot for me. And don't, don't, to don't they kind of punctuate the song, give it a bit of a sting for you? Like, No, because... No, because yeah. to me, the contrast of his weathered voice and her fucking fantastic voice, that's a hard, that's a hard contrast for me. Okay. I, I don't, I don't really dig that that much. Um, well, you know what? So, it's funny you should say that because for me, I was kind of looking forward to the idea of a woman singing this song and maybe there might be... Me too. Be I, I was hoping she would sing this. A new reinterpretation of the lyrics, maybe. I mean, obviously, no one likes it when someone changes the gender of a song for no reason. And so I was no. I was looking forward to see, like, what kind of spin she'd do on that. And... But but this but this song it, it is should not... Be a it doesn't right. need to be... It, it can't, but it could be sung because he also he sings "Hear Me, Women, Wives," but he also says "Husbands and Lovers." Mm-hmm. Like she wouldn't need to have changed yeah, any of the yeah. gender things, even if she had wanted to. But yeah, I, I agree because the lyrics are not bad. I, I think actually the lyrics are are pretty good on this song. That's not my issue mm-hmm. with the song at all. More so, I think the pacing of it. So the fact that it's paced even slower here, I think for me is like um, not my least favorite, but. And I hate to keep using mm. this word, but I, I was just disappointed because I love St. Vincent. Okay. And like you, I, I, I was excited. 
the guitar solo is great. And for that, I, I will mm-hmm. probably go back to this. Um, but yeah, overall, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not a two thumbs down or a two thumbs up where yeah. we're, we're living in the, the neutral land, I guess, at best for me. That's fair enough. Maybe one neutral thumb and one, one oh, down wow. thumb. Maybe. I wouldn't want to be a gladiator in that arena. I guess um, this is also up there with Kiss of Venus in terms of a song both being a remix and a cover. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, just 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 to say, this is definitely like more latter era St. Vincent. Like, don't go in expecting like the self-titled album or some some of her. No. If this is like mass seduction, mass education kind of era where she's a bit, totally. a bit, a bit more salacious, a bit filthy stuff. We're hopefully going to hear on Daddy's Home as well. Really looking forward to that. That might be the first vinyl, new vinyl I buy that's not a McCartney album, actually. That's, that's <laughs> quite interesting. I'm sure it will be worth it. I mean, she's she's so good. Yeah. She's so good. She is. So from one remix now to a second. Uh, now, this is a song that me and Dylan are both big, big fans of, obviously. The biggest, yeah. Possibly the only fans ever, if other podcasts are, are, are to be believed, because this really wasn't that warmly received by anyone Untitled Beatles podcast particularly gave it a pretty good rinsing. This, though, is the Blood Orange... Anyadi likes it. <laughs> Something me and him do agree on. Yeah, this is the Blood Orange remix of Deep Down. Blood Orange, formerly known as Lightspeed Champion, real name Dave Hines, is an electronic artist who was known for live performances where it's just him, guitar, and a laptop which sounds exactly like what McCartney would be doing if he wasn't famous in this day and age and at like 70 years younger. Yeah, Dylan, for me, there was a lot of hope for this track. At first, I felt a little underwhelmed, I guess. I felt there was kind of something missing, but I've, I've, I've slowly kind of uh, accepted it for what it is. And I'm just off the top of my head, based on your opinions of the last few songs, I'm going to guess that you're actually quite pleased with the addition of say the piano line and the piano melody and all the little noodles and stuff and the the way the song has been jazzed up a little bit and with the new vocals and stuff or am i completely missing the mark here well all right so so basically everything that i said earlier about dominic fike applies to blood orange for me i wasn't familiar with him i'm still not particularly familiar with Mm. him and it, it it seems like his music isn't particularly up my alley, so I, I don't want to pass an unfair judgment. Uh, this is easily, easily my least favorite song on the original record. Um, and, you know, yeah, that is nice. But overall, I, I don't really think he did anything to improve on it because, uh, once again, like some of the other remixes on this record it lacks a lot of dynamics mm-hmm. and and even though i'm not a huge fan of deep down there, there are some dynamics in it and this takes those out it doesn't do anything to address or fix those questionable synth horns um and it certainly doesn't do anything to hide or distract from the fact that it's not much of a composition so yeah it's it's a pass for me i really didn't have all that much to say about this one either really it, it is kind of sparse there isn't all that much going on in there but I also can't... Much like the original, yep. I mean, hearing you say that, I can't I can't deny that a lot of the things that did make me love the original are just completely stripped. Like, I think we get one run-through yep. of the bow, 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 
boom, boom. Like that's like the best bit of that song. It's like, come on, you don't, you know, you don't have to strip that, everyone. I love those horns. I know you find them questionable. Um, I cannot not praise a backwards guitar element being added to a McCartney composition. Mm-hmm. It might be derivative at this point, but I still got that same you know nostalgia rush that I got from like Dominoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, in terms of getting me interested in an artist, I'm definitely going to check out Blood Orange based on this because, again, I liked where he was going with this. I liked the exploration. I liked the idea and the concept. Execution resulted in, in, in a bit of a slow burner that probably needed to get going a little bit quicker and maybe do at least one more unique thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're going to move on now to... A song that I would argue is probably the most contemporary of the lot here, based on a certain large act from last year that I'm sure Paul must be aware of. This is Seize the Day featuring Phoebe Bridges. And Phoebe Bridges, okay, is an artist whose music has been categorised on Wikipedia as indie rock, indie folk and emo folk, which I didn't think that was a... That was a thing, you know. I lost my banjo, so I cut myself, you know, something like that. Apparently, though, uh, her music centers on acoustic guitar and incorporates atmospheric strings, production, and electronic instrumentation. I think we're starting to see a pattern with all of these artists, you know. It's Paul going, yeah, definitely see some of, some of me in them, you know, or me, them in me. I hate to get hung up on the credits here, but why is this featuring? Again, this is... This is a straight up cover, isn't it? This is a- yeah. Oh, well, this is what I was. I, is is there any aspect of the original recording that's looped in here at all? Uh, it didn't really oh, sound yeah. like it to me. Drums, I think. I think some of the drums might be the, the same sample, but it's heavily distorted. Mm-hmm. If if it is, yeah, absolutely. What do you think, man? I, I got to. For me, this was the big finally moment. Uh, because again, when I <laughs> okay when I when I saw the track list, so for anyone not familiar, Phoebe Bridgers is a powerhouse songwriter. I mean, her so her debut album, Stranger in the Alps, it starts with two of the most impressively written songs I've heard in the last few years: Smoke Signals and Motion Sickness. And and I had to write that. So she has such a. a great beautifully original way with words Mm. there's a track from her most recent record that i love called moon song that actually references john lennon and i had to write down the way that Um, she's she's quoted dude to say like lennon's the best beetle by far she didn't really think paul's work was that great uh she's (laughs) and yet she's still been chosen which is quite funny well yeah and but just just to give everyone an example of like the way that she writes and like how solid like so in that song one of the verse starts with um we hate tears in heaven but it's sad that his baby died you know she she just comes up with these things like who thinks of that you know it's (laughs) not i think when people hear folk music yeah you know Mm. you can you can you can make the, the jokes like oh you're my banjo and, <laughs> you know, go, i'm going i'm going down to the river and repenting for my sins near the train like, tracks you know, i miss the mountains even though i've never lived there well exactly because so many players but like phoebe is she's so dry 
and funny, but she'll break your heart. And mm. it's so intelligent. She's such an intelligent songwriter. And so I love that she tackled the songs because I already dug like the offbeat lyrics it, that Paul wrote and hearing her sing it in her voice. It just makes so much sense. And her voice sounds great. I think the production is solid. I mean, this is probably my favorite track on the record. And mm. for as disappointed as I was with Krongbin and Beck and uh, St. Vincent, this was like, this was what I, and maybe in general, this is just what I wanted. Maybe I didn't want the remixes. I wanted the covers. Mm. Like I wanted Beck to cover Find My Way. I wanted Krongbin to cover Pretty Boy. Maybe that's just it. I stand by my opinions, at least what they are for now on, on those. But I mean, I, I, I think this is fantastic. I really, really love this one. You know what? I did notice, and this might be a little bit of a nitpick, but she did change the lyrics at one point. When Paul sings about Yankee toes and Eskimos, which might potentially be a little bit of a problematic moment, I don't know. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's not conduits and Inuits. Mm-hmm. And instead, she sings about megastores and carnivores will turn to frozen ice. I think I think it was something like that. Yeah, I have no I have no issue with that. Yeah, I just I, I, I don't have an issue with it. I just thought it was worth pointing out. No different than Paul singing uh, a holly and some mistletoe in his version of the Christmas song instead of a turkey and some mistletoe. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Obviously. Um, you know the story of Weird Al. He wanted to do chicken pot pie as a parody of Live and Let Die, and Paul wouldn't let him because it's not vegetarian. I'm like, ah, oh. it would have gone. Buk, buk, buk. Buk, buk, buk. Buk, buk. Come on! Buk, 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 buk. I have I have sent that I have sent that YouTube to so many people, and I could actually probably start a Weird Al podcast because I know that much about him. But that's another story. Uh, for those polkas, I I love every, all of those album polkas. We, are, we can't are the we best. can't go down. We got to keep this to one episode. <laughs> yeah, for me, this song I get I um, I really enjoyed it, but it's it's in the lower end of my enjoyment just compared to a lot of the, the other the other tracks on this album. Not really my sure. my my kind of thing with this one. Initially, I, I kind of felt like this was a mandated Billie Eilish rip-off that Paul was like, yeah, yeah that ice was big yeah. last year. Because the vocal does have that very delicate, youthful, innocent, angelic quality to it. And I think it really does contrast quite beautifully with the uh, old man Macca vocal that we had before with Seize the Day. Mm-hmm. And like with Dominic yeah. Fike and Kiss of Venus, it's proof that sometimes a song like I'll Give You a Ring is proof that Paul's the best person to sing it all along. And I'm not saying this is the opposite mm. case here, but sometimes a song can be more appropriate with a more age-appropriate singer. I'd be interested to see mm. what, what a younger artist would have done with Fur You, for example. Like the Dominic Fike Fur You just makes sense in my head thinking of it right right now yeah this this one was pretty good i thought not too much to say about it again next one mm. i think i'm finally gonna uh, finally have a chance to let off some steam here because we're gonna come on to the final single that only came out less than two weeks ago on the 12th of march 2021 we still haven't seen the music video for the actual song slide in but here we are now with a new version of slide in the eob remix Right, EOB, a.k.a. Ed O'Brien, is the guitarist from a little-known band called Radiohead, 
And the EOB moniker is one that he's only recently adopted for his first solo album release last year. I don't think I should have to explain on this podcast who Radiohead are. They're quite a big deal. Dylan, am I being a little bit too simplistic when I call this the most surface level, unalterated, low effort, barely done fucking anything remix on this entire album? Is that an unfair statement? It's basically just the original track sped up. A couple little keyboard flourishes here and there. It sounds like he might have added some other subtle touches, but it's not really worth exploring because none of it is necessary. And the track as a whole isn't necessary. And, you know, I, so I'm not I'm not a Radiohead super fan or connoisseur, but mm. I do like them and I respect the hell out of them. So I kind of figured this would be interesting. And, uh, you know, it's just about the farthest thing from it. It really so. is. Your sentiments there are almost in, entirely reflected in my notes here. Yeah. It is just increasing the tempo by about 27%, calling it a day and collecting the check. Dylan, just to prove how low effort this was, though, you know, it, you know, like those jobs in The Sopranos you get where they're just paid to sit there and pretend to have a job. That's kind of how I feel about this song almost. Like Paul was like, oh, Ed, Ed O'Brien needs a fiver. I'll just come up with this quick job for him. To prove just how little was done, I'm now going to cut to a clip I made earlier today where I increased the tempo without increasing the pitch of uh, the original slide-in by 27%. So we're just going to cut to that. kind of thought I'd like this song when I first heard it was just based on how fucking similar it is to the original one <laughs> but you know that is its greatest weakness at the end of the day because it just makes me think why well, are I just listening to Slide In you know there is no chance that in the exact opposite way to Women and Wives there's no chance I'm ever going to listen to this version again when I've just got the original um, there's yeah. really not that much to comment on here Green. yeah let's just let's just press on to one that I'm a little more excited to talk about here today, which is a track whose mastermind is a collaborator that I've wanted to work with McCartney for for decades now. Um, formerly the opening track on side one, now track two on side three. This is Long-Tailed Winter Bird, the Damon Albarn remix. Okay, folks, Damon Albarn was the frontman for Blur, aka the Rolling Stones to Oasis's The Beatles. Uh, then he went on to find a second lease of life with a band called The Gorillas, where he was the main vocalist and songwriter. I hope you've all heard The Gorillas at some point, just for your, you know, just for your peace of mind. They're a great band. Dylan, I don't want to pressure you publicly, but please tell me you love this song. As in this track? As in this track, yeah. There's, um, this couldn't be more uninteresting to me, Sam. I thought you were going to be like, oh, you, you know, the original... That reference out of steam about two minutes in. Man, okay. Here we go. Look, 
I'm not uh, kind of like I was just saying about Radiohead and Ed O'Brien. Yeah, I'm not a Damon Albarn aficionado or aficionado, aficionado or completist. But you know, I, I enjoy I enjoy a fair amount of Blur and Gorillas. Man, I alluded to this a bit earlier in some other tracks, but to me, this is the absolute worst offender on this record of vibe taking precedence over all else and for whatever impassioned speeches i can give about how music fans are missing out if they're not giving any new music a shot i will say that i've noticed a trend through a couple different genres in recent years where a lot of artists fall into this trap of focusing solely on the groove or the vibe and nothing else and granted i say it's a trap that's subject that is subjective because obviously there's a huge audience for that sort of thing and it's Certainly not to say that I don't love a great groove. I do love a great groove and I do love a great atmospheric soundscape, but 99 times out of 100, I need something else. And there is nothing else in this. You eventually get the main riff in the last minute of the song. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you have his vocal going on, but there's nothing here. There's no dynamics. The hook never comes in. This does not, the original is so dynamic. Yes, it's over long, but it's, it's always changing. There's so many different hooks mm. between the guitars, the other instruments, his vocals, the way it goes, the breaks and everything. This has none of it. There is nothing to latch onto here unless you are stoned and listening to it. And yes, sure. It sounds great because he is a great producer. Mm. The actual sounds are great but there is nothing this is completely uninteresting and useless to me see for me this is like a a remix that immediately understood what the expectations were and like gleefully sidesteps them like it knowingly avoids that main riff it's an instrumental people are going to think okay this is the instrumental remix it's 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 going to be easier he's going to fit you know fix it on, on something quite obvious and instead he bases the whole song on some awesome new in instrumental work that he's done like keys and bass and stuff and then just how is it awesome can you sing great. any of it right now any of it right now. <laughs> I've only listened a couple no, of times. That's not fair. Yeah, you yeah, you have to go do back you, and listen to it a couple do, times because do, there's but that's part of the no, original yeah, yeah, track. No, you yeah. Can yeah. Sing, yeah, you can sing Paul's So uh, and and look, and I and I'm sorry to cut you off, but like boom, I understand boom, what you're saying. Boom. So there's a really cool oh yeah, boom, 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 <laughs> cool. Yeah. So Cat Power has a really cool cover of mm-hmm. I Can't Get No Satisfaction, where she not only doesn't include the riff, you know, wow. the most iconic guitar riff ever. <laughs> But she also never sings the chorus. But it's cool because it highlights the lyrics in that song, which it's not like, you know, it's Bob Dylan style lyrics, but they're interesting. And when she sings them Mm -hmm. in her cat power, almost sort of lackadaisical way Mm -hmm. against this really subtle backdrop, it brings this new thing to the song. This doesn't do any of that the only thing it does until the last minute of the song is it includes that little bit of the vocal while he plays this completely listless and faceless instrumental that even you as someone saying it's awesome you can't even sing there's nothing there to it i respect the hell out of damon alburn he's a fantastic musician and producer listen to I mean, any of the big hits, certainly yeah. by Blur or Gorillas, but even those album tracks, they're great. I, what's the point? There's no point to this. 
I, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't get behind it at all. <sighs> Maybe I need to start smoking weed. Then I'll enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't think you need to, you should have to do that to enjoy it. I feel like that little vocal just in day and it's just, Oh, I just feel so deflated after that. I love this song so much. I think yeah. again, I, I just, I enjoyed this kind of vibe atmosphere. I like the environment. I want to stay in it longer you know, and yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, and I guess if you like, I guess if you like ambient music, sure. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say again. It should go without saying. The disclaimer to all this is that this is my opinion. You know, I, I, I can't take down ambient music as a mm-hmm. genre, even though there's some ambient music I like. But granted, it's not a genre I'm going to listen to a whole hell of a lot. I'm not going to go back to Strawberries, Ocean Ships, Forest a whole hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. Probably not even Rushes, although there's a couple songs on Rushes I really dig. But like overall, you know, there is a time and a place for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and certainly I, I, I can't talk down, you know, all of the things that Brian Eno has accomplished, certainly. Mm-hmm. So many other musicians, there is an art to it. But when you, knowing the context of what this song is, it's not even the song. This is not long-tailed winter bird. He samples a little bit of it and creates, to me, a completely listless, ambient, vibey piece of groove that's just nothing. It's nothing to me. I'm having so much fun with this episode. This is this is great. <laughs> See, for me, this is a track that truly like vindicated my my idea of Damon Albarn and Paul McCartney working together. You'd like to think that if they worked together, there would be some sort of melody in there. But yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you like melody and things to listen to, who I don't knows, know. Dylan? In a few years, we 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 might be told or find out that. There were certain limitations on what they could and couldn't do with the with the material as well. There there, there could be con, like constrictions they were working around as well. We will have to see. Let's talk about disappointments, shall we? With the next track, we have a straight up rock and roll cover. I really expected no less from this artist in terms of fulfilling his brief. Heading up both uh, lead guitar and vocals here, we have Josh Holmes' version of Lavatory Lil. Of course, Josh Holm, Josh Holm, is the frontman and lead guitarist for the desert rock group, the Queens of the Stone Age. Everyone has heard, no one knows. Come on, everyone has. I'm going to move on. Uh, he's also part of the super group, Them Crooked Vultures, alongside Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters and John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, who's like 30 years senior on both of them, but he's still in the fucking band, and it's really cool. Um, Dylan, first things first. Do we think Paul told Josh Holm what this song was really about? And if so, how much tequila do we have to ply him with for him to spill the beans? <laughs> um, well, I I believe that he has a history of oh yeah, you know, oh, uh, yeah. enjoying substances, perhaps a little too much. This is our um, this, so, this is this is our yes, perhaps. And I will say, just as an aside, getting to uh, see them crooked vultures live was one of the coolest experiences of my life being 20 feet away from john paul jones was fantastic oh my god it's very possible uh man (laughs) i think it's so funny that you say this is a disappointment because i think one of the coolest things about josh i've always said homie but it's probably home or home i don't know we'll call him joshua oh joshua the bands that the bands that he 
sings and what I really appreciate about him and especially his vocal style is there's kind of an inherent darkness to the way that he th- yes. sings things yeah. and, and a slyness. And so the original Lavatory Lil is, you know, kind of a f- fun little bouncy blues rocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that, that he approaches it here, I like it. It has that just, it's a little bit creepier. It's a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. It's not like, look out for love, a tree little, you know, all the boys <laughs> in the bar singing together. Like, this is like, this is the guy whispering to you at the bar. This is the guy saying like, hey dude, seriously, like this is, this is some fucked up shit. Like, yeah. I think it's a yeah. really cool approach that, that he approached it that way. And, and I, I don't know, I really like him and granted really liking other artists on this hasn't stopped me from not enjoying the versions, but this, I was completely fine with this. Uh, this is one of, this is one of three tracks I really enjoy on this record. Yeah. I guess for me, the problem was expectation. I was expecting something a little, heavier louder faster and if anything the song kind of took a down step in the tempo and the guitar work mm. became more subtle uh, none of that i really wanted and I, I, I kind of felt it was lacking in energy and the heft that the you know ninety-eight thousand year old paul mccartney had on his own version of the record i totally agree with what you say about the vocal now that i've heard you explain it in that way that totally makes sense to me but my initial reaction was that it was kind of gutless especially the backing vocals as well. Like Paul going, watch out for lavatory now, like being done about eight times was mm-hmm. had way more pump and drive to it, I thought, than Josh Holmes here. I can understand that. It did have the kind of, I thought that was almost like a sexuality to it. Like this is, you know, a real alluring, almost like the titular lavatory Lil herself trying to like be that kind of beguiling figure. But I feel like the idea is great, just not for this song, really. I don't think it kind of meshed in the end, unfortunately. And if anything, I was kind of just hoping for Josh Harm to treat this song like Black Betty by Ram Jam or something and just, (laughs) you know, get the blood out of the stone of the riff, play it out a few times and get out of there. Whereas I think what we get here is maybe a bit too heady and overthought out for what it is. Bit of a disappointment for me, really. Well, I think it's bold of you to throw that accusation against it when you've supported so many way over heady, over thought. Oh, songs I'm on inconsistent, this Dylan. I'm inconsistent, my friend. But, but I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I would have liked to hear that as well. I don't have a problem with this. I, I, I like how it came out. I, I think it, it does fit the song for me and you know yeah he's great when he's rocking out and being josh Hom, but there are subtleties to his music to really appreciate too and i think that it works i don't know it works really well here this is another one uh, i like this song just fine but it's in my bottom half for mccartney three songs i'd say so i i was pleased to get a, a cool new version of it um but i understand what you're saying on to our penultimate song now, and we have a remix that, for me, sounds like a delightful throwback to remixes of a slightly earlier time, like kind of like in my childhood, I guess, kind of late 90s, early 2000s. 
This is When Winter Comes, the Anderson Pack remix. Anderson Pack is a massive R&B artist over in the States who in 2020 took home the Grammy Award for Best R&B Album. I don't know him per se, but I have heard a cover of Long Tall Sally that he did with one of his side bands, Silk Sonic, who the other member is a little-known artist called Bruno Mars. So you can imagine this guy's quite a big deal. Dude, no pressure, but the original version of this song was recorded the day I was born. So please regale me with your thoughts on both the original When Winter Comes and this version. I like it. I like the other songs that were recorded on the day you were born a bit better. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously his voice sounds great. Great guitar work as well. Lyrically, I think it's a little... (laughs) Not the bit, you know, I, I don't mind the country, but I love Mama's Little Girl. I love Country Dreamer. This one is not on par with those for me, hey. but it's it's perfectly pleasant to listen to. And this this is the third song that I, I really enjoy. This is probably the only straight up remix, true remix that I really, really enjoy in this record. And this, again, it's tough to say what my expectations were because Anderson Pack. I mean, again, I hate to use this word again, but talk about a powerhouse of an artist. This guy is an unbelievable vocalist, drummer. His drumming is mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Producer, songwriter. People might not love all of his original music. Even he's extremely versatile. Some stuff mm-hmm. is it's just straight hip hop. Some has more of an R and B feel. Some of it is kind of more of a straight rock and roll feel he just released the first song with silk sonic him and bruno mars which is a super you know early to mid 70s marvin gay throwback yeah. you know those great sort of philly strings in there i would highly recommend to you to anyone watching and listening to watch his npr tiny desk concert if you want to be amazed by this man's sheer musicality even if you don't love all of his music i guarantee you will like or at least heavily appreciate it. It is unbelievable. And when I found out that he was a part of this and that he was doing this song, I had no idea what to expect because it seems, I mean, this is a folk song. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a straight up acoustic folk song and that is not what Anderson Pack does. And to hear this, yeah, kind of almost, you know, kind of like a Stevie Wonder-ish instrumental track behind it, Mm -hmm. very electric piano driven, hammering home the chord progression nice it, the drumming is really funky but it's not overpowering the the vocals are sped up but it, it doesn't sound like chipmunks and it's not like sliding where it's just like okay <laughs> yeah you're literally just at 1.5 percent going forward i think this is extremely smart it highlights his talents not just as a musician but truly as a producer uh, yeah i think this is a home run i i really love this track it's funny you should mention how there's uh, a possible comparison to uh, sliding because I've written here that I'm worried that people might call me a hypocrite for not calling it out in the same way. But there's a lot of new, totally charming instrumentation going on here. That's just not yeah. buried in the mix. It's just subtle. He's not he's not pushing it in mm-hmm. in your face, and he's not just yeah. cranked it up by twenty seven percent and gone. That's it. That's the day I'm going to go back to my mansion now. Yeah, a real winner for me here, dude. As I mentioned, it's a bit of a a retro remix vibe that I could not help but connect with. I mean, taking 
that type of song and turning it into this in itself is just a marvel to behold. Like, <laughs> thank God he didn't turn yeah, it into, I, uh, I, like, um, I'm sorry, I was going to say, thank God he didn't turn it into some sort of dance track or something like that, where it's a bit too mm-hmm. more obviously club-based. Because this kind of fits the idea that this whole album isn't really meant to be danced to. It is meant to just be, you know, put on in the background or, you know, to have on like for like a workout or a bike ride or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the atmosphere that this song created was just so, it just, put, it just put such a smile on my face. It was so simple and to the point and uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. The whole arrangement to me almost sounded like a, like a, a late like Thelonious Monk kind of thing, just with all that piano and drums together. It was really dense, really layered. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And it but like you said, it keeps the vocals and the melody right up front. It doesn't ever detract from it. Mm-hmm. I think it's very very it's smart and it's mm-hmm. it's really well put together. Huge huge fan of this one. Yeah. There's some great clubs on this one which I'm always appreciative mm-hmm. of. Uh and there's a little tremble effect on McCartney's voice that I, I that I picked up on that I thought was quite quite good. Another real run and gunner pretty much just over two and a half minutes long and they fly by it's over before you know it Mm -hmm. much like this next track yeah so finally folks we have another hotly anticipated remix from this album especially when you consider just how critically well received the original version was in all the publications uh going a, a further fucking three minutes longer this second time around this is deep deep feeling the 3d rdn remix 3D RDN or Robert Dalnaja or Dalnaja as he is officially known was a or is a founding member of the chart-topping UK electronic band Massive Attack and as a group they more than likely owe some kind of tribute to McCartney too I'm guessing this pairing totally makes sense on paper Dylan it's going to be pretty daunting to talk about an 11 and a half minute song uh, especially at the end of such a long episode did this remix solicit any deep, deep feelings from you? Yeah, actually, this isn't daunting for me at all. This is pretty simple for me. Uh, this does absolutely nothing for me. Uh, you know, this has no no deep, deep feelings here. Again, I should say here, it's so difficult for me. I, I, I feel very... <laughs> like I feel like I'm allowed to, when I'm criticizing like the long-tail winter bird thing, I, I feel like I can appropriately criticize it as someone who kind of is familiar with and understands the artist that is doing it and kind of what they're going mm-hmm. for. This is another one, again, where I don't think it's fair for me to do that because my knowledge of, of this musician and Massive Attack is nothing. Mm-hmm. This is a style of music I don't enjoy. And if people want to tell me well, you just don't get it. Well, you're probably right. I don't, you know, because I, I, I don't understand what is enjoyable about this. Um, I know that it takes talent to produce. I know that there are subtleties to it. I would never in a thousand years sound like an uneducated Facebook commenter saying, well, it's just bleeps and bloops and people on their computers. And that's not real music because that's just objectively faults and they don't understand the work that goes into it. Not a matter of not appreciating it, but I don't get it in the sense that it it does nothing for me. My ears do not enjoy the sound of this. 
my heart is not stimulated by this. My brain is not stimulated by it. I much prefer the original because even though it is an eight minute long song, it takes you on so many deep mm -hmm. emotional peaks and valleys. And it's just so fascinating. This keeps up a pretty steady pace for 11 minutes. And yes, things come in and out, but it's so far outside of what I enjoy. You know, it, it's the same reason it's not completely like Twin Freaks. Um, I wonder when Twin Freaks is going to get brought up today, actually. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, this, yeah. well this, is very, this is very, very Twin Freaks-y. And that, it's just, it's not my thing. It, you know, and I, I want to, I've tried to explain it as um, educated as I can. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what it boils down to is this is not a style of music that I enjoy and I especially don't enjoy it for 11 minutes. And I especially don't enjoy it for 11 minutes based off of a song that I already really like and enjoy in its original mix. So I said, I've listened to this record in full four or five times. I've listened to this song in full <laughs> once. Uh, the other four or five times I've tried, I've wow. skipped around <laughs> I, I can't sit through it, man. It's not, it's just not for me. See, for me, this is totally out of my alley. Yeah, this is, this is a style of music that not, that I, I don't really go out and look for it, but once it comes on or if I come across it, I'm definitely going to leave it on. And Massive Attack is, again, not a band I'm particularly familiar with like yourself, but I know I've heard their stuff. I know I've come across it by chance. Uh, I don't know. For me, this was a wonderful tribute to that song and it expanded upon it in ways that I, f I found quite engaging, quite interesting. There were things that they did with the remix that I thought were very brave, most notably incorporating the main riff from Temporary Secretary towards the, um, yeah. the middle of the song, which... Of course, was going to rub me up the right way. It's the quote. Unquote. Yeah, I, I, I knew that. Was <laughs> 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 like, I was so happy. I was like, it only would have been better if it was like, here in my heart, check my machine. I was like, <gasps> you know, for me, <laughs> this was a track that just paid homage to all of McCartney 3 wonderfully, I thought. By this point, you shouldn't be shocked by what this is. This is the three-imagined version of Deep Deep Down. It's going to be 30% longer than the original. It's going to be vibe-based. It's, like, it's going to have less melody. It's going to be explorative and experimental in different ways, perhaps less satisfying ways for some, more satisfying for others. It's an atmosphere yep. and a world that I totally enjoyed in inhabiting. I would gladly have this be 22 minutes long. I know you probably scoff at that idea. Not from a, of a standpoint of thinking you're wrong, just from a standpoint of I could personally do that. But I, I totally respect it. That, you know, this is one where I kind of feel like I don't have a leg to stand on. It's more so just like, hey, this ain't my thing. Mm -hmm. But this is your head. I, I, yeah. I'm truly. Whereas I was yelling at you for your long-tailed winter bird opinion, I uh, I kind of have no choice. You know, I have to begrudgingly respect you on your long-tailed winter bird opinion because I think you're so wrong. Uh, this one, I just I straight up respect it because I I just don't think I have anything to add here that would be of of massive note because I I just don't care for it that much, uh, and it's not. 
a commentary on how well done it is or isn't because that has nothing to do with it. It's, it's simply a subjective, the way it hits me and ultimately electronic. Yeah. It kind of almost like stagnant in terms of dynamics. Ambient bedroom music. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that is rarely, if ever going to resonate with me. So. Right folks at the end of it, we have caused more damage, destruction, and terror in a one-on-one clash than whatever was in Kong versus Godzilla. Like, this has been a true clash of the titans. And, you know, I guess I guess Three Imagined has been the mecha Godzilla in all of this that's been getting us to come together, you know, as, as friends at the end. Enemies at first, friends at the end, you know, and we all nod to each other. I'll slip back into the sea. You can go back to Skull Island, you know. I think at the end of this review, we're all happy, you know. We're always friends. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to some closing thoughts. Overall, I'm just going to say I was very pleasantly surprised with how much I engaged with the material here. I think it's an incredible sister act to the album and it achieves all the objectives that it personally set out to do, whether you or you know appreciate those objectives or not. If Makani is ever going to tour again, I could totally see this being the new Twin Freaks album that he puts on ahead of a show to get people fired up about his new releases, that kind of thing. Maybe lowered expectations factor into this review somewhat, but I do find it to be quite a surprisingly strong standalone and consistent collection of music. Something I do have to point out as well. I'm a person who tries to surreptitiously introduce my friends to Paul McCartney. And yesterday, whilst we were playing Mm -hmm. cards in the back garden due to government mandated rules, (laughs) I actually snuck over to his speaker and put on Three Imagined. And not only was it not immediately turned off by my friends, they actually enjoyed it somewhat as well. So for me, that's the most important review of all here over two hours into this episode Mm -hmm. is the fact that my asshole friends who don't appreciate Paul whatsoever didn't spit on me when I played it. What about you, dude? What are your overall thoughts on Three Imagined? Well, I agree with you there that I think it is successful from that standpoint. I think if the main objective here is to, I think, hook in a lot of those younger listeners, you know, I can use this word because I am one. If they're trying to reach the hipsters, I I think that they're going to do it. For me, though, I think it's the opposite in the sense that I had very high expectations. I mean, looking at the track list, I mean, they're... I mean, there's seven artists. I mean, I saw Phoebe Bridgers, Josh Hom, St. Vincent, Beck, Anderson Pack, Damon Alburn, guy from Radiohead. And I thought, wow, this is going to be awesome. And so to me, it's massively disappointing from that angle because I ultimately really only enjoyed three of them. And on the other hand, um, it's also disappointing because as much as that particular objective will be met, getting the younger crowd into it. I just think this was potentially also such a good opportunity, like I said, to turn on an older generation of fans to these great new artists. And again, especially especially the fans, the closed-minded fans who don't think there's any new good music. Mm-hmm. And I'm disappointed because I thought I was going to have an opportunity to say, ha, 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 look at you. You've been proven wrong while also saying, well, hey, look, it's not a bad thing because now you know about these good artists. Instead, 
this is going to give more fuel for the fire. I think a lot of those fans will hear it and say, well, this just proves that that new music is bad because this is not going to resonate with them. Oh, no. I've just thought eBay in a few months. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. There, there, there could potentially oh, yeah. be. Well, actually. So many. I mean, for me, as someone who wants to collect, good for you. collect all these <laughs> versions. Yeah. So, folks, so, uh, please do sell uh, your versions of Three Magic in a few months for cheap if you don't like it. I will gladly take a green one. Uh, I think it, oh, I don't even have the standard one. I have the standard one. I think there's a red one somewhere. I'd love a pink one. Oh, there's a quite a nice suitcase. One. Uh, oh yeah. Oh my god. I need. I need. I need all of them. I do. I need to get a CD version actually as well at some point. Mm. I'd call this a resounding success, but I think we've proven one way or another it's not going to be for for everyone. It's not going to be for all fans. It's not going to be for all the people that it's marketed towards. It's a strange mm-hmm. product. It's quite daring for what it is, especially compared to McCartney's recent output. It's still him with his finger on the pulse, finger on the trigger, trying to do new stuff. I can always appreciate that. And it is certainly more interesting than some of the other things he's done recently. And I and I don't want that to get lost in my opinions that I really respect him for putting this together, despite my you know overall view of the results. Um, yeah. So to that degree, again, I think it's definitely a success. A successful, a successful three or four out of ten for me. Three out of four out of ten. Oh my god! Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's. I like three of the eleven songs. I mean, what? So, so for your canon fodder, your three tracks selected for future to be preserved for future generations would be what? Seize the day, lavatory lil, when winter comes. Those are the three I'll go back to, and the guitar solo on Women and Lives. That's interesting. That really is interesting. For me, the three tracks that I would save would probably be Women and Wives, St. Vincent, the Damon Albarn Longtail Winter Bird remix, and possibly When Winter Comes as well. That one really did stand out to me as well. So I'm glad we were... We, we managed to form some common <laughs> we, we, got one. We, got one. we got one. Fuck it, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Um, <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, there we are, folks. Thank you for uh, joining me and my good friend Dylan C for another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on another episode of Paul or Nothing. It's a pleasure as always. I couldn't have imagined doing this album review with anyone else. Because, you know, I, I I don't like to believe that Hudson Rani and Ethan Alexanian exist in terms of young people here on the internet. Oh, so, please. Uh, <laughs> be nice. No, be I, nice. I'm the young one. No one's younger than me. I'm young. I'm safe. I'm not getting old. I mean, at old. this point, I'm, I'm the fourth youngest. So, I mean, I just turned 30. I, I, I don't oh, know man. what to do with myself. Oh, but it, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, I... I Love you, the reason I rallied even. you to come <laughs> the the reason I rallied to come on here was because I was anticipating on loving it so much and that's why I wanted to be on here. But you know, regardless, I'm always, always honored to be featured and, no, and it's always we've got a pleasure some we've got some good opinions you. today here, man. We've done we've done some I good we've, so. we've we've done some good work and I've really enjoyed listening to you talk as always. You always give great hot takes. And I think this is the only episode you've done where you've never said the phrase guitar tone. Normally you say guitar tone about 12 times an episode. So there we are. The guitar tone on the solo on Women and Wives is killer. Lavatory Lil, uh, 
yeah thank you very much for listening everyone thank you very much for watching if you're if you're also part of the patreon uh thank you to uh, dylan's phone for overheating halfway through <laughs> i'll send you the photos so that can be another part of the exclusive proof content. yeah proof i need i need evidence that this happened it's not it's not trying to cut out on me uh, folks, keep listening to Paul or nothing. Keep listening to Paul. Harry, Harry, Krishna. Peace and love, peace and love. No more autographs. Let's get out. Thank <laughs> you.